The MX Vice Show. Welcome to episode 147 of the MX Voice Show. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying that, 147 shows in. I mean, uh, I think, I, I, I keep saying this, how am I still here? Um, but Ed again invited me on, so uh, here I am, 147 down. Uh, for this episode, we are joined by a very special guest, uh, a former motocross rider, now a prolific trainer, um, been working with the Blue Crew. Uh, Brian Jorgensen will be joining us on today's show uh, and he's going to be talking to us all about um, what it takes to uh, to get to the next level and this is somebody who has gone through adversity himself um, and somebody who is who knows all the pieces of the puzzle that you need to put together if you want to take it to uh, the next step so we're going to listen to listen to Brian in a minute but before we do we want to thank Parts Europe Distribution, spare parts, accessories, and rider equipment for all motorbike segments in Europe. We support the sport as fortified through the Four and Moose House brands and their support of world elite MX riders like Calvin Flanderen, Jorge Prado, Lagenfelder, Guadagini, Jonas Bogers, and nine times world champion and four ambassador, Tony Caroli. Uh, so again, if you didn't know, uh, they've already got a world champion under their belt with uh, Jorge Prado this year. So congratulations to Four. Uh, and and to Jorge as well because uh, you know no mean feat and uh, Tony Corelli the four ambassador is still pretty fast on two wheels we've seen this year. Uh, Parts Europe dealers uh, have so many brands: Neckin Pro Circuit, FMF, ODI, Psycho, Renfo, Recluse, and many many more are available from your Parts Europe dealer. If you're looking to find out uh, who your local dealer is, pop over to Parts Europe and they will give you a prolific breakdown of all the dealers they have in Europe and one that is close to you. Uh, Also, thanks to AS3, the aftermarket parts uh, uh, for Enduro parts and motocross, uh, hardware and protection parts, including skid plates and radiator braces, to performance cooling parts, including silicon radiator hoses, and oversized impeller kits. AS3 also have a huge range of brake, clutch, and gear levers, all with different features and adjustability. Check them out online at www.as3performance.co.uk. Without these guys, uh, we wouldn't be able to do these uh, these podcasts, um, you know, along with Even Strokes, Scott, and uh, in Kawasaki UK for being uh, very supportive this year of our podcast shows. So, uh, again, thank you once again. So Ed Stratman, the MX Vice editor, the machine, is uh, is with us as well. Um, I don't know if you've seen that MX Vice this year, but you know, part of me was uh, dreading when Lewis was 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 leaving. I didn't know how we were gonna gonna replace Lewis. Uh, Ed literally has just come in, uh, steadied the ship, and uh, everywhere I go, everyone's a fan of Ed. So the motocross of nations was, oh my god, that Aussie guy. Uh, how much work does he do? He's just like here, there. Does he ever sleep? 
Ed, you've become quite a quite a, quite renowned within the industry quite quickly. Have you enjoyed your year so far at MX Vice? Yeah, mate. Cheers. It's nice to hear. Thanks for that intro. Yeah, I'm loving it, mate. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Obviously, it's been around a year now, and yeah, grateful for obviously Lewis helped with the transition, the changeover, went over a few things, and then yeah, the blokes that have stepped in, we've had in between then, have been really helpful too. And yourself, mate, it's been a great process. Really enjoying everything. So everything's pointing in a pretty good direction. So we just keep trying our best to elevate it and keep improving, mate. And that's the goal, isn't it? Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about it before we introduce Brian. I mean, we, we've just come up to half a million views and downloads and plays and on our uh, on our podcast shows this year, which is um, two hundred thousand more than than twenty twenty two. And it looks like we still could have a like a solid couple of months. It looks like we might even achieve sort of six seven hundred thousand by the end of the year, which is which is pretty incredible, eh? For an Australian and a guy from from the UK. Oh, mate, we make it work. It's just. You know, it's really cool to have the opportunity to speak to these people and that people like Brian want to come and, you know, speak on the podcast and enjoy the platform. And it's really cool. The fans are enjoying it too. And sharing the writer's story, sharing trainer's story, other media guys' story. There's just so many people with excellent opinions on the sport to share. So we'll just keep bringing that to the people, mate. And if there's any feedback and any negative, positive, we're all happy to hear it all, aren't we, mate? Just to elevate the product and the content that the fans want and seem to enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I believe our job is to give a voice to uh, to the riders, to the industry, and um, to try and create opportunities for everybody out there. So I think uh, that's like our mission, and that's what we're trying to do. And, and today's mission is obviously a very good one because we've got none other than Brian Jorgensen, um, a prolific rider in his day, and now he's turned into a prolific coach as well, uh, heavily involved in the Blue Crew. Um, and, and I got to sort of briefly talk to him at Motocross the Nations. And I think the end part was we need to get you on a podcast show. So um, here we are, Brian. Welcome to the show in this yeah. fantastic to have you on board. Thanks a lot. Appreciate so, it. Thanks uh, a lot. Yeah, I mean, Nations. I mean, we were kind of a little bit in awe. I don't know if, how it was for you, but I was a little bit kind of... I don't know. It was, I wouldn't say emotional. Emotional is not the right word, but it was an incredible scene. The amount of people that turned out to watch one motocross event. I think if you're a fan of motocross, you couldn't help but just feel like, holy shit, motocross has arrived. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and, you know, especially after this turbulent years that we have been through with, with COVID and everything, you know, it, it's, it's sad for, you know, how can you say such a, a big sport in 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 my world and something that we all have a lot a passion for you know and uh, to see that many crowd really come out and and watch motocross and watch some of the best riders in the world you know i would i would stress it that far uh james that i would say it was very emotional for me you know like standing there you know uh, i got so many times i got goosebumps the first you are in france they're very good at putting the you know, the show on, we had incredible riders this year in the French team, uh, Pauline Gauthier to, to actually lead the team. And, uh, and you know, some of the moments when when Febra passed uh, Joaquin Pardo for the second time in the, in the first motor, I mean, I, I could not help myself. Joe. I had just goosebumps everywhere, you know, and uh, I was standing in the middle of the tracks as close as I could to the track and it was just amazing. So, it, it was it was definitely very uh, emotional for me. You know, I raced there my last motocross of nation in France in two thousand five. I did you know in 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 the race I did um, medley as well in two thousand six, and that was my final year. 
but to be back there being you know heavily involved with with uh, Yamaha and, and Blue Crew and whatever you know all the things that we do for the young riders it was emotional to many sides you know because I see those young riders you know coming and thanking me you know many days past the, the motocross of nation I got incredible you know messages through my Instagram or Facebook you know you know, people from, you know, the, the parents of the kids thanking me for this incredible experience, you know, and, and they, you know, really appreciate that, you know, it's it's not only about having the fastest bikes of where you can actually, there was actually a dad that made a, a voice record to me and he said, Brian, I just want to tell you, he's one of the one, two, five guys that had a podium. And he said, I just want to tell you that, you know, we realized this weekend that, you know, it's not only about having the fastest bike where we can get the most discount, you know, this is memories that me and my kid will remember forever, you know, riding and that many fans, the, the whole show that Yamaha put on for the Blue Crew riders. And that really, you know, I sent this to, to, to some of the bosses from Yamaha. I said, this is what it's all about. You know, this is about creating that feeling for the young kids to come out and ride. And uh, so there was a lot, just to say, there was a lot of a, I really thought about motocross and days and many days after the race because I kept being reminded for, for people and also what I saw with my own eyes with all the spectators, the, the great racing and, you know, there was not many injuries uh, as well. I think there was maybe I saw someone losing his front fork down the hill, <laughs> but yeah. uh, whatever that, <laughs> I don't think he got injured. I think, but no, uh, it was, it was an inc- incredible weekend. Yeah, I think we were quite lucky of injuries apart from, I think, Glenn Coldenoff, Isaac Gifting, and I think Dylan Wright had a big yeah. spill, but he managed to get back on. But for those uh, mm. who probably aren't privy to, um, if if they weren't there, they're probably wondering, um, you know, li- li- listening for the first time about the Blue Crew and, and, and basically what, you know, what this experience was for kids, because I'm not sure if it was televised on MXGP TV. Um, I haven't watched it back, so I'm not sure, but... For those who aren't uh, privy to uh, Blue Crew, Yamaha, and what they do in in how they've managed to host these races at the biggest event in the world, can you give us a little bit of a uh, can you give us a little bit of explanation over what the Blue Crew program is, Brian? Yeah, I mean it, it, it's actually a very um, fun thing to me to be involved with because I. I pretty much started in Yamaha, Scandinavia, and as I was living back in in Denmark that time, and I remember our first Blue Crew event in Sweden in Saxthorp. We were probably about thirty people. Uh, it was also at the time with you know with COVID, and it, it was difficult to arrange things because you could only be that many people. But uh, now you know just to to tell you a bit about the progress. Now we are two hundred and fifty people in the Blue Crew training in Scandinavia alone. You know. So when they start hosting these uh, uh, races at the Super Finale, so basically it's like when you go and buy a new Yamaha, you get signed up to the Blue Crew if you want, and you receive like a package and and you know with some clothes and some some casual wear, a little hand, uh, what do you call like a rucksack that you can you can wear, and then you pretty much get a sticker, and then you get invited in Scandinavia. Now they're taking it on in the UK, you know, with Jeff Parrott being a, a, a leader of that. And Germany and you know other places, but we were actually the first one starting in Scandinavia with this thing, and then hosting a training school for the young riders to be able to teach them and learn them about you know how to become better, uh, better and faster, but also more safe, you know, and trying to give a little bit more of the input for the dads and and the family 
what you know where to spend your money because you can spend your money on on a lot of things you know but spend it on the right things and 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 bring the values into the riders helping let the riders help with, with fixing the bikes and get them into the, the to the system you know and um so that's basically how you do it and then you get signed up with blue crew and then you do a national championship what you choose in sweden denmark norway finland or even you know for the future for the uk and then you yeah. you know we, we 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 follow the riders and then we can see from each dealer which rider have done what and then we pick them out and then each country you know around europe get a certain amount of riders and uh, then you go to the super finale and uh, then you be able actually to prove yourself in front of you know 30,000 or 80,000 people or whatever and then first second and third in each class we're talking 65 85 and 125 and two reserves or wild cards we can say maybe there was someone that crashed in the start that we have to look at so that's why i was accompanied by nancy van der ven this year and robert just uh, so we all out on the track you know i'm looking for the first five six riders and they're looking further down and and you know to see if something happened in the start because i'm not able to see everything and then they you know we pick out the riders after the race thinking oh he had a bad luck in the start you can see the lap times is actually he he rode really well and then we basically take them to the master class so last year was really fun it was something that you know i arranged for all the the blue crew riders so we were 18 riders jeremy Siebel was there and he's one two five i was there riding on my one two five and uh yeah it was just a just a fun day um you know being with let's say the 18 a rider three riders from you know one two and three from each class and a couple of reserves and then we you know we do some drills with them we do stretching after riding and, and little running a little morning run as well and then we pick out you know the the best of those three classes so 65 will get when if and when he wins he will get some help for the local. You can say if he lives in Germany, the Germany importer will give him some support through Yamaha Europe. And the same would happen with 85. But in 125, it's a bit special because they get um, a free seat with JK Racing or whatever team that Yamaha chooses to give the support. And then they can ride one year for free, you know, with, uh, with all the materials they need, uh, clothing, bikes, uh, a team setup. And basically giving the the opportunity to prove themselves, and uh, and I think that's a great because I you know I, I came from 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 nothing as well you know I I, I didn't have a, a lot of money in our family we just had enough but after I lost my dad when I was sixteen you know I had to do everything myself and uh, we know the sport is is you know back then in, we're talking about ninety four or ninety six. When I started World Championship, is is expensive, but now with the you know the developing of the whole thing, it's not so easy for for all families to um, to be dissipated. Um, dissipated is that the right word? Yeah. Um, yeah so this is a great, uh, yeah. So this is a great opportunity, I think, for young riders to be able to prove themselves. You know, even if they don't have a lot of money, if they turn the throttle and they're professional and they they uh, they want to, you know to do something with the sport. This is the opportunity to get given. And then furthermore, they will do all the winter preparation with me in Red Sand uh, over the winter. They basically got offered like three months program, which I do over December, January, and February. 
And then I would be in constantly contact with the riders. I'm going to do their training program, you know, physically and, uh, you know, condition wise as well. I do the riding program for the riders. And uh, then I go to, let's say, over half of the European Championship with them as an assistant. I'm helping them to, uh, to actually, you know, how the approach, the right approach should be for, for the racing. And you can say, because I have them that much over the winter is actually something that I started this winter because every year we try to improve the, the Blue Crew and also me working with some of the riders that could be the future of the sport. I said, I need to work with them. You know, they said to the beginning, oh, you've come out to all the races. And then I said, yeah, that's great. But, you know, I've watched so many races in my life. I don't have like a, a completely desire to go and, and do that because I know when it comes to racing, I cannot do a lot, you know. I can be there. I can, I can give small pointers, but I cannot learn that person to ride a motorcycle in the weekend. So I said, give him, give me him during the winter. And I started that with two years ago with Adrian Petit, and uh, then I can make a difference because I will adjust his mindset. I will see what kind of condition he is he's in. I will know what kind of person that I'm working with because. There is no trainer in the world that just comes out and no matter what kind of information you have, if you don't fit to that person and he understand what you say or you're on the same level, it, it, you know, what you say, but if he doesn't trust you and he doesn't have any confidence in you for whatever reason, it doesn't matter to be there in the weekend. You're just wasting each other's time. So that's, that's some of the things that I changed, you know, in the regime of, of working with Yamaha. And I said, this is the way for me to do it and the only way because I'm not going to stand out to 10 European championships saying, oh, yeah, you turn the throttle a little bit more. I want to come in with a personal review and the riders. And I said, do you remember when we went up that mountain, you know, when we had our day for us and we sacrificed and we trained hard and, you know, on the bike and off the bike, this is the day show what you can do not tomorrow on instagram and say you know the, the the previous story that we always see oh this was not the weekend i was looking for but next time next weekend i'm gonna get them you know i said yeah. living in the present moment here and now because to never you know tomorrow never come you know maybe never come that's that's the way that i always think about racing you know we didn't yeah, have the privilege yeah, I mean, that's a real interesting point you've said in the fact that uh, this next generation of, of kids coming up are completely different to, um, you know, what I grew up with and, and what you grew up with uh, in our generations, because everything seems to be played out on social media. And we all know that social media uh, is very good at putting across, you know, whether it's um, uh, high fashion uh, you could rent a you can rent a Lamborghini for a day, and everybody thinks you own a Lamborghini. Do you know what I mean, you, you can put out whatever persona you want on social media, mm. and it's like you see like the you know riders like going around like you know a berm, but what they don't what you don't realize they film that berm fifteen times to be able to get that once right, but you don't see the fourteen times that they fell off or went over the berm or just completely fucked it up. You know, you only see on Instagram the perfect one. And I think these kids today have, have, have really, I'm glad I'm not young. You know, I, I love being my age because I can see through the bullshit and everything else where the kids today, they, they, they do live and breathe on it on, on Instagram and in social media. And it's kind of, do you, do you find that that can be quite prohibitive 
for you, Brian, in your job where you kind of try and snap them out of this? Um, you know, Instagram is not where you're going to earn your money. You're going to earn your money on the track and, and in the hard work in the winter period. Oh my God. I'm so glad you brought that up, James. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but you know, to, to start with, you know, showing yourself up on Instagram, which we didn't have the privilege on at my time, you know, there was one way to show up and that was turn the fucking throttle, get your head down and get the results. You know, if you didn't get the result, nobody will hear anything about you. So, so that was very brutal, but very honest and very straightforward. You know, if you want to train yourself to win, you have to stop the bullshit, you know, work hard and get the job done. That's that's the only way to prove ourselves. And I've been there from, you know, when I was really young doing my own contracts and, you know, sh- you know, asking people, explaining people who I want to be and who I am. And they're like, and then actually sitting next to the table and, you know, don't have to speak so much and just, you know, this is, you know, when you sign contracts with Honda, or with factory Yamaha, you know, I had that privilege of, of just, you know, get my head down, do the work. Then you get offered great deals where you don't have to sell yourself, but actually just saying, hang on a minute, this is what I'm worth. And this is what I want for racing. And people would agree or disagree. But I have seen so many people on Instagram and also tagging me, you know, in and and I'm watching those videos and I think, holy crap, this guy can actually ride a motorcycle. He looks really good. And then watching him in red sand or something. And I'm like, is this is this the same guy? Because yeah, he was fast over in that corner, but he cannot jump or whatever it could be, you know. And sometimes yeah. I I I I'm shocked. How is that possible? I thought he would, you know, from what I've seen, I bring him up here, you know, fucking, you know, I still, you know, have the privilege to actually ride a motorcycle. And sometimes I go out and follow one guy thinking that I just want to see, you know what I've seen on Instagram, I want to see if he's really that good. And then you fly past him and you think, fuck me, you know, I'm 48 years old. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm too old for this shit, but like how it can be possible that he can have such a little knowledge, how to, you know, approach a corner or stand up or whatever it could be, you know, and I'm not criticizing, you know, but it's just, no, no, no. it is a very, uh, it, it is a very uh, strange world uh, out there. You know, I, I love when people put, you know things out on Instagram, and and I try to follow as as much as I can, but also with a limit because I also have my own life to live for. Um, yeah. But uh, I love those posts after racing. You know, um, you know, I'm I was not the it was not what I was looking for this weekend, and you will see this post and next weekend, and and you you think to yourself, what in the hell are you looking for? <laughs> you know, why yeah. are you not getting what you're looking for? You know, is it yeah. because you're lazy? Is it because you're not fit? Or, you know, or it's just because you're not good enough because then you're going to be fucking looking for years, uh, you know, maybe the rest of your life, you know, and, and that's the thing, James. And and it was that that's the thing that we we, we we didn't have the chance to ride this bullshit, you know, then it was just like, yeah, it was a bad race. You know, the press will come up to you and I was riding and yeah, fucking, you know, I remember in Namur, I was, you know, I was, <laughs> I had moments in my career when i know i did so bad that i didn't want to be faced with anyone but because i was a factory rider from 2005 with stefan Everts, and you know you go to namur which is is, it's a big race and uh, i gotta be honest i that was probably my worst qualifying ever in my life and uh, i was i was about uh, what was i i think it was about 12 seconds uh, off the pace 12 seconds but that was you know normally there would be like 
let's say two or three seconds from in Teutonstar, for example, from one to to twelve or to to twenty even. But here was twelve seconds because it was all of three minutes lap. And I was yeah. embarrassed. I qualified 20th and I was embarrassed. And you come up to the press in the evening and they were like, you, you had to talk a little bit about the strategy for the for the race on Sunday. And I was like, I was embarrassed to go because I was a full factory rider for Yamaha, you know, riding with the Latin. There was already at that time, you know, how many times? Uh, nine times world champion and never <laughs> got beaten in the moor. And I'm thinking, what in the hell I'm going to say to these people, you know? I was faced in yes. reality, but not on not here on social media but but here you know mm-hmm. and they, they talked about Pichon and they talked about Everts you know what is your strategy and said Everts said you know which was fair enough you know I never got beaten in Namur no matter if I rode on a 500 or whatever and uh, I'm just gonna take a good start and win both motors and pretty much the same with Pichon and then they came to me and they said Brian what are you gonna do <laughs> uh, you were 12 <laughs> seconds you qualified 20th and I was like so now I have two choices eh? I could I could play the bullshit or I could just be, you know, honest. But here, normally I'm always an honest person. And I think you know that, James, as well. Uh, I would never say too much that I cannot back up. But here I was so frustrated because I actually thought I could not ride a motorcycle anymore. 12 seconds to the the guys that I had been beating in time when I went 1-1. It it was just embarrassing. And uh, I just said to the press, you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to do two magic starts of Jorgen, Brian Jorgensen magic starts and I'm going to win both motors and you could just Stefan just looked at me and like, <laughs> yeah yeah you know I was like that. One, once I said it I was actually a little bit embarrassed about it because I never you know when, when I had the chance to win or when I had the chance of getting on a podium I'd always say that you know humble to be you know if I knew I could be top three I would always say I would get top five you know but here, it just kind of flew out of, of my mouth because I was so frustrated. And, yeah. uh, you know, that that year, they actually put the gate, like, so all the riders, you know, had a little bit of an angle on it. So the first, second, third, and fourth, and fifth, you know, all the way down to 40th, they would yeah. have advanced to the first corner. So I was next to the box, and in the moor, there was a 90-degree corner. So the chances that I ever going to make a whole shot, I mean, that was fairly slim, <laughs> you know, very fairly slim. And uh, you know what? I I went out and they, I remember going out on the practice lap and it has been raining all night. And I only have, you know, 20 or 30% vision on my left eye. So as soon as it gets dark with tree roots and stuff like that, it kind of messes up a little bit with my vision in, in deep ruts, especially when they're wet. And uh, so I had to ride with a special lens in because I could basically not really see the track, you know. Uh, in the morning yeah. when I went out and when we did the siding lap, I remember sitting and you remember that hill down before you go to the to the asphalt road and you pass the, the pub where where famous Hawking Carquist had a drink. <laughs> and the, the water was just busting out of the ground and I was sitting there and I was looking at Smiths and he was like, I, and, and that was the first time I actually think I was actually scared, you know, how am I going to get down here 18 laps, you know, without crashing? that close to the Belgium yeah. fans and, and fans. And I never really rode with handguards, you know, maybe a couple of times in my life. So a little, they could just do like this if I took the start and I would be over the bars and, and hurt myself. And I went into the gate and uh, I just remember thinking, you know, I was actually sitting in my, my camper before going out on the siding lap and I, I was quite 
I sat there quite a while and I was just thinking, holy shit, you know, now the reality really kicks in. If I go out and do two bad races, this this is it for me, you know, it's, it's going to be bad because I, I didn't have the best year with Yamaha uh, for many reasons anyway. And I was just sitting there, just closing my eyes on the toilet. And I was just thinking about when I was young and the enjoyment that I had with riding. And, you know, actually some of the things like my dad, you know, told me when I was young and, and he said, you always have to enjoy. And he never put pressure on me. And I had to go so deep in myself to actually be able to fucking like come out of that camp of thinking, yes, I'm going to do that whole shot, you know. And they, I went down to the gate, they deciding like come in and I was definitely not more confident, but I still had like, <laughs> I always had, you know, I always had this like belief that it's never over until the fat lady sings, you know? Yeah. So I thought, fuck it, just be, just be positive. You can do this. You can do this. This is, this is what you can do. If there's anything you can do in life, you came for fucking nothing and you put yourself up amongst the, you know, the best riders in the world. And uh, I remember just dropping that clutch and coming into that right-hander and uh, I just didn't shut off. And how I made that, you know, with let's say 2% of the tire on the ground just going wide open on a 450 with 60, 65 <laughs> horsepower. I do not know. But uh, I made it to the first lap. So I, I got the whole shot from outside. And I just remember thinking, yes, but fuck <laughs> You know, I knew that I was, you know, 12 what seconds do do, slower. Yeah, you know, what am I going to pull out of the back to be able to keep this lead? Because otherwise I'm going to be looking more ridiculous, you know, coming from first to 20. <laughs> and uh, so I thought, okay, Brian, you focus. You don't look at the pit board. You don't look at the clock. You just look at the track and you just focus on what's in front of you here to here to here and try to optimize every single bit of the, the track. And you know what? When I came around and it was 25 minutes, normally it was 35 minutes plus two laps, as I remember. And when I looked up the first time on my lap board, I was 18 and I was 21 seconds in the front. I couldn't hear them going into the sitting there. And I, I actually had a moment that where I thought like, I'd never looked back, but I always had a moment thinking, have they crashed? Have everyone, have everyone crashed because <laughs> I, I couldn't hear anyone. So I know it's a long story, but, you know, I just want to tell you a little bit about oh, So yeah. I went out, I won that race by 18 seconds and Everts got up to second. He was fifth from the start. It was difficult to pass, of course, but he passed, you know, on a very, how can you say, magical way down to, to, the, yeah. to the first hill. And he passed the rider every lap there. He just busted in straight. Everyone was open up to actually choose a line because the ruts was that deep, just water coming up. It, it was brutal. It was probably the, the only track in the World Championship in my life of the 12 uh, years I did motocross where I fought a World Championship where I fought, this is really dangerous because the ruts was getting so deep. So when you try to break, the, the, the ruts was coming in on itself. And there was tree roots sticking out, you know, so you could not even use the brakes properly. And um, so I came, you know, won that race and was completely, yeah, when I looked myself in the mirror and I thought, you know, how did we actually do that? I don't, I, I don't know. But one thing I did know was that I never quit and I never give up. And I always believe the best of myself into, you know, I proved myself wrong, you know. And yeah. uh, and second moto, so a lot of people came and you know even Rinaldi came and congratulated me and Stefan also and 
And the, um, then the second motor went out and did a whole shot again. I made a couple of mistakes. I was not as sharp as the first motor. Finished fourth, I believe, and finished second overall. Uh, lost the overall to Stefan Everts. And uh, I was second. And then it was actually Ben Townley was was third. And, uh, you know, that that is just what I say with it, you know, just to, to sum it up, James. And, uh, and it was, you know, that was the reality that kicked in, you know, there on the press day, there was no like, yeah, uh, I may be gonna, you know, next weekend's gonna be better or whatever, you know, it was, it was here. And now you need to change something um, for tomorrow because otherwise, you know, you cannot, how can you say, be proud of calling yourself a factory rider riding, you know, with the most successful uh, rider on my, uh, on the team, you know? So yeah. I really needed to dig deep and really needed to find out who and why and why I love this sport so much. And, uh, you know, going home in the camper that night to uh, back to my base in Italy, I drove all night because I, I just couldn't sleep. I couldn't believe what I've just done, you know. And, and that that's something that I use, you know, also with uh, Bobby Bruce and the people that I'm training with, you know, and 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 helping is that you just do not, ever quit it doesn't matter if we're cycling we're training it's hard it's difficult but life will teach you a certain lessons when you can learn not to quit because things will come and things will turn around and that's the that's the privilege of me actually you know becoming a coach because i think i've been in so many situations in my career that i you know, I came back from, you know, came back from, from family disaster to, to, to believe in myself that, yeah, of course I can be one of the best in the world where people said, how are you going to do that? You have no money. You know, you, you lost your dad uh, when you were 16. And I said, you know what, if you tell me I cannot do it, I will exactly go and do what you are telling me I cannot do, <laughs> you know? And that was always my, my vision in life. And, that's probably one of the things that I'm, you know, mostly proud of. You know, one thing is that I had, you know, I, I, I think a fairly successful career with being, you know, factory rider for Yamaha and Honda and Suzuki and Husqvarna at that time. And, uh, but, but mostly the, the, the things, you know, I said always when people want to hear about, you know, what have you won or what have you not won? I said, that that's not the main thing of the story. What you want to hear is actually how I arrived there, you know, because every successful rider, you know, have a story. And and it might not be the the most, you know, glory story that, yeah, then I was just born with this talent and then I this, this, and then suddenly I was world champion. No, no. It's a it's a completely different story. You know, you it's like a successful businessman, you know, how he came successful was actually learning how to fail and coming back from failures. And, and that's the same with motocross. You know, people are so afraid when we're coming back to social media and Instagram, people are so afraid to fail because they see this, like yeah, this incredible life, uh, what we talked about. And yeah, then I can also post something, but I'm like, fucking be real. You know, it's like, you are what you are. Work on yourself, try to improve and get your fucking, you know, ass, ass off the chair and, and do something, you know, do something about it. Because that's, but that's what I had to do at the, Two things which uh, resonate with me from that story is that I don't know anybody who's uh, been 12 seconds a lap down and finished 20 for qualifying <laughs> and then come out no. to win the first race. So, um, no. you know, that's incredible. I mean, that's, I mean, that's just pure mindset. 
I mean, that there was you didn't change anything on the bike. You didn't. It's not sudden, yeah. suddenly somebody came along and said, "Oh, that factory engine was a little bit slow, Brian. We've uh, we've got you a new no. one." You, you basically admitted that there was no difference. Nothing changed. It, the only thing what changed was your mindset from from going out in qualification to saying to yourself, "Actually, I, I'm going to win this." Yeah, and you know. Once I put that, you know, I've always been working best under pressure. You know, I've I've seen, you know, when I I was always a, a rider that trained really hard. You know, I if I want, I want to be, you know, even more fit, even more fast, which was my mistake back then. But when I had small injuries like I did, you know, before Teutonstall, when I had an injury on my left hand uh, with the carpal tunnel syndrome, I I didn't ride the motorcycle for three weeks. I was not allowed to train, so I was like sitting on the couch, still did a little bit of cycling. <laughs> um, I still cheated a little bit. Uh, but, you know, then I come back and I won both motors in Teutonstall and I was like, so you go here thinking that you can get a couple of points. You're completely recuperated because you're forced to sit out for a long time. So what does that learn you? And it was the, you know, it's never easy to to win a Grand Prix. Let's just be honest about that. Uh, and also not in Teutonstall because it, it was not like a, incredible physical track but it was a very tough mind uh, set track where you have to hit all your points perfect all the time so it was really really difficult for me you know in my head because I didn't ride the bike so the timing was not quite as good but it yeah. sums it up because I was completely recuperated I was very creative on the track I, you know I felt fresh I remember coming over the first big tabletop and I had so much fun taking the first tear off something fuck yeah I'm having it you know and uh, let's see how long we can let's see how long we can go you know if that's 10 minutes you know I, if i failed it was okay because you know that was the you know i still i put the stints out of my my hand on friday with my my doctor that traveled around to all the races with me and uh, and he said let's let's see if we can do the qualifying and i went around and ah, it doesn't hurt too much i qualified third or fourth you know so it's like fuck that that was amazing and had an incredible weekend, you know, and that was, again, you know, about the mindset. And I think that's something that I had to teach myself, you know, because I didn't have anyone to say, oh, you have to do this. And this is the mindset that needed. No, fuck, I failed. I failed so many times, you know, and, and being weak. And, and I think what can make me stronger? And that's, I think, an interesting point when people think that, you know, also as a coach and I do physical programs and they're like, what what kind of miracle can you give me to bring motivation? And it's like you you know you know what mate if, if you don't have the motivation to be the best, there will be nothing in this world that, that I can create. So I'm gonna get you out of bed. If you don't have that desire inside, or you don't even know why you're doing it, then yeah. it's gonna be a tough road because then you feel you're gonna sacrifice a lot. And if you sacrifice a lot, you don't do things for the right reason. You know, when people say to me, even I had a brother that was very successful in Denmark, and we were had a two different mindsets. Um, we probably many people would say, "Is that your brother?" Because even if we look alike a little bit, he's a lot smaller than me, and I'm not a tall guy, but I'm one seventy eight, and he's probably like one sixty. But he's like, it would be easier to jump over than actually walk around, you know. <laughs> but he wanted. <laughs> He, he wants to party. He wants to go out with different girls. He wants to do all the, the fun things. And then he wants to be the best motocross rider in the world. And I'm saying to him, you know, it's just not realistic. You know, you, you gotta, 
you know, you've got to feel if that's a big sacrifice for you to do the training, to do the drills, to stay at home in the weekend when you have time off, you know, then you're not going to make it, you know, where he thought I was a fucking psychopath because I trained hard and then I trained harder and then I trained even harder. And I never went to, to his parties or with his friends or anything. And, and I said, you know, that that's just the difference between me and you, you know, I, when I won a Danish championship for the first time, I wanted to be a European champion. And when I was European champion, I wanted to be a world champion. You know, I always had like gradually stepping stones, but I always made sure that I achieve the things, my goals first, you know, I have dreams that was to be a world champion. That's like up here, but I have to have realistic goals. And when I build from realistic goals, I have confidence to take the next level. And when I had the next level, of course, the world championship, it was difficult. I never became a world champion. I became fourth in the world, but had many great podiums. Uh, and that's the, that was my ultimate cha- challenge in life, you know, to become a world champion. But also, I think when I stopped, I was disappointed that I didn't win a world championship because I fucking worked. I, you know, I, I did it, definitely had the dedication to do it. But the mindset and the sacrifice, when people ask me, did you sacrifice a lot? you know, in your life to get there. And I was like, hell no, I didn't sacrifice anything because it, first of all, it was my desire. Second of all, it was my passion. And third of all, it was me that had to do the work, you know, and, and if I was not willing to do that work, well, then, you know, you're in the wrong sport because if you're not willing to work, you know, four, five, six hours every day and to work towards your goal, you just, you just have no chance of doing it. Yeah, it's a great point there, isn't it, James? And you look at, you know, we've spoken to Andrea Adamo and he's mentioned about the sacrifice, how he doesn't really see it that way. It's just a fantastic opportunity to, you know, get to live your dreams under such a great environment on the world stage. And Mm. it's really cool listening to what you say about how you dealt with the pressure and the expectations and then rose to the occasion, which is pretty special, mate, to sort of dig deep and overcome that adversity and definitely great things to teach your kids and the kids you train with, you know, the invaluable lessons that, that they can be imparted onto and James, when you look back to that Jeff Emig podcast and he said fail and fail often is like a good mantra he has because, you know, you're never going to be perfect the first time you do it. So you've got to just keep working hard. And, you know, another sort of example, you know, for you, Brian, I spoke to an Australian trainer, Nathan Crawford, who won 00 Elite Training up in Queensland here. And yeah. he's sort of, you know, very much, he's got a good crew of riders there, professionals and, and juniors and all this. And he said, you know, it's all about the commitment. If you can be good and, you know, excel at committing to something you want to do, and be accountable for your decisions and responsible for those actions. Like the example he was, if you get up at you know 5 a.m. and you press snooze, that's on you. You've made that decision consciously to sleep in and not get up and do whatever work you were you know had planned for the day. You've just missed that window, which is a bad sort of way to start the day because that sort of follows into different habits developing. But yeah, like you said, it's got to come from within, doesn't it, mate? Because it's brutal, it's savage, it's all in. There's a lot of suffering. There's got to be a lot of learning to suffer and enjoying it, extracting sort of fuel to, you know, drive yourself in those moments, doesn't it, mate? So just your thoughts on all of that, yeah. mate. Yeah. Um, like, like I said, I have, I have two good pointers in this one. You know, uh, first of all, it is uh, advanced to have that mindset when you're racing and uh, a slightly disadvantaged when, when you still train uh, as much um, you know, off the bike and what I do, you know, like I said, I live in Spain. I, I love cycling. I do a lot of cycling and I really enjoy it. And God knows why I 
enjoy to go out push myself almost every day and you know i i i, I cannot it's difficult for me to go out and say okay now i'm just gonna enjoy enjoy it and you know i'm always enjoying it but that's with pushing myself you know when i go up a mountain you know i push myself to my own limits and the other day i went out and i was like i was actually feeling tired and you know i've been training for so many years so i know when to you know when to back down a little bit and i'm also getting older as well and uh, and I went out with a completely clear mindset. This is going to be a recuperation night for 60 kilometers. Just take it easy. Just enjoy the weather. And I was toddling along in my own little world. I pop, 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 listening to some podcasts in one ear and uh, just having a good time. And then uh, I, I just went into a roundabout and I hear like a squeaking noise. And I went out like I said, please don't there be anyone behind me because if I know if it's a cycling group, I am not going to have it. I'm not going to just let them buy it. <laughs> so we came around, <laughs> we came around this roundabout and then we had to switch to the other side of the road. And I knew I could hear, I could hear the wheels. I could hear the pedaling behind me because I only have this one out of my ear. And suddenly I can see they stayed in the right side because they stayed in a little pedal turn of, of 10 people. And, you know, so I was just doing my own little thing and I could just see by the corner of my eyes, they were just like coming and passing me. And I was telling myself, Brian, don't look, just focus on your heart rate and your own speed. And I just couldn't help it. You know, they were going, that I did 30 kilometers hour. Then they did 33. I did 35. And then here we fucking go. And then I went in behind them and then we went up in the mountains and, you know, almost killed myself, like just with that heart rate, you know, I just, I'm just still that competitive that I cannot let anyone. And if you speak with Bobby Bruce, uh, I don't know if you had him on the podcast, but you know, every time that I say, you know, I take it easy, be, be gentle on me. And he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, and we go out and we just, you know, when we have to do heart training, I would just rather fucking die than, than, than not trying, you know? Yeah, and nah, and the second but... thing, yeah, and and the second thing uh, that we talked about also mindset is that you know what you just said about the training in Queensland, uh, Edwards is, uh, you know, one of the the most, how can I say, the, the experience or appreciation of what I have done, not on the result or or what I have made in, in the sport, but mostly on a personal level, when actually uh, two years ago, a little bit over two years ago, my dad, Ella, my, my mom died from, from cancer. And uh, exactly the same procedure and, and procedure as my dad did when I was 16. And, uh, you know, like I said, losing your, your, your dad in that young age, it definitely had a, a toll on me, but I didn't think so much about it because I was thinking about to be a world champion and whatever that will stand in my way i would just move and and put shields up and do whatever i needed to do because i didn't want people to feel sorry for me if i didn't make it i want you know myself to give myself the best possibility when i was walking you know i could be the saddest guy you know thinking about the past but when i walk into that waiting zone i was a completely different person i walked in there with fucking confidence with my chest high and, you know, like, I'm going to fucking kick your ass. And I could probably be, you know, thinking differently sometimes, you know. But that's that's the attitude that I had towards myself because I know that this, you know, what was down in the camper was personal, you know, side of me. 
if people come to speak meet with me there, my friends or whatever, they will they will see a completely different guy. But when I walk into the you know the, the waiting zone, then I put a, another guy on. You know, I was a bit schizophrenic. But uh, but what I wanted to say with it, you know, when you when you when you push yourself and when you do what you do in the sport, you need to have routines. You need to do them over and over again. You need to fail because failure will learn you to be successful because if you have no failure you think life is just going to be you know bloody easy and uh, if, if you don't dig deep and you understand about your own personality and how you can recover for this then you basically have no confidence coming into the gate because you know a lot of people always ask me how do you get confidence and i'm like there, there is there is no like magic trick to get confidence what what brings me the confidence and that could be different from other people but what brought me the confidence in my racing career you know not having anyone to lean up against our world champion to ask oh how did you do here how much did you train i basically had to learn everything myself and and finding out who am i and how am i going to get to be one of the best in the riders in the world and i put myself in situations that i didn't like to do so let's say when i was back in the winter in denmark you know when it was minus 10 minus 15 you know, I knew that if I didn't put newspapers on my stomach because I didn't have the equipment in the beginning to buy the, you know, like a, a vest to take the wind and it was it was really cold and my hands was freezing, you know, I did things that I didn't like. If the first thing I would get out of bed in the morning would think, I don't like to do this. And I was like, but you're going to do it because that's what you said to yourself when you wake, you went to sleep. So I always follow up on the things that I say to myself I will back that up every night, every morning. So what you said, it was about, you know, you know, doing those things that if you have set the alarm clock for seven o'clock or six o'clock, whatever it is, you get fucking out of that bed and you do what you need to do. That means that when you get up and you wake up after, you know, a boot camp and you're training a lot, you not always wake up and feeling fucking yes i'm gonna do it you know i feel really good today but that's because your emotion turns into like oh you know your brain already tells you a little bit what you want to hear i feel tired today oh yeah that's why i'm not gonna go training you know so i learned how to separate you know my intention of doing things and then actually separate the emotions of doing things you know how do i feel i don't give a shit how i feel because i have a fucking job to do and as to get out of that bed and do the drills that i need to do if you want to be a world champion. So when my mom died and uh, there was a lot of things with, with divorce and my kids and, and everything else, I was, you know, at some moment I was, I was really weak. I was really thinking how I'm actually going to make through this because when I was racing, I was, I was in command. Okay, Brian. So you and our top, 10 in the world if you want to be better you need to maybe find a better team be more fit be more efficient be stronger in your mind you work constantly on something that you can work on but when something is brought to the table that what we talked earlier is not in your control then you become very unsecure you know like so I cannot control this situation. I cannot control if my mom would die tomorrow or in two years or the, the horrible situation, which was already in the back of my mind for so many years. But I didn't have to bring them up because I was focusing on racing. You know, this, this, and I knew that my dad was there anyway. You know, that's why I always looked up in the sky and I was doing a cross to him, not because I'm religious, but actually just, 
you know, there's if there's two people in this world that's going to get me to that corner first, it's obviously going to be me because I'm the guy that has to believe in it. But I always looked up in the sky thinking, and you're going to get me safe there, you know. No matter that the choices that I'm going to make, you're going to get me through that corner. And I think I did. You probably have that on record. So probably more than 100, you know, 80, 90 starts in the World Championship. And I only crashed twice, you know, in my my racing career. And uh, and I think that's, again, something about having the drills and believing in yourself. But just coming back to the story, what, you know, when you're down in life, and this is about failing, what we talked about, you know, not always fail is just about failing, but actually things that's happening to you over your life that you're not in control of. And at the most moment that I was weakest in my life, in my personal life, I got up one day or actually I could feel that it was leading to something that I didn't want to be a part of because that side of me, I kind of didn't know before because I'm always a bubbly person. I'm always positive. But here I feel there were so many things pulled over my head, like financial, divorce, my mom, you know, I knew what way that's going to go. And I have nobody left. You know, that was that was my last kind of uh, down the memory lane of, you know, talking with her about my past and my, my childhood and my dad. You know, we, we always talked a lot about this to keep those memories alive. And they, when when I could feel that that is going to that is going to end, you know, maybe in one month or two months. I really needed to dig deep again in, in, in my own personal life where I thought, fuck it, you know, I went out in my garage at my house and then I kind of looked at all my trophies and I was like looking and sitting there thinking, so how did all those, you know, trophy come in here in, in my house? Was it because you are consistent? Yes. Was it because you have determination? Yes. Is it because you believe in yourself? Yes. And what is the most important thing is to build up your routines because that's how those trophy came in here. Because if I only want to train with my emotional side, oh, today I feel great, I want to train, there will not be one single trophy that will mean a lot to me, you know, from the world championship. And, uh, and that's why, you know, I really decided in my personal life, I got up the next morning and I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to get up at six o'clock because there, you know, I think it was before COVID, you know, it was or in actually COVID, you know, I, I could not work anyway. And then you start sleeping till 8 and 8.30 and then, you know, and, and I was losing myself because I thought, what is the most important thing of me being me is like training. You know, my training is my, my positive. When I train, I I uh, bring off a lot of endorphins. I get positive. It's, it's something where I be creative as well because it's something that I build in my body that I love. And when you're doing something you love, you know, instantly it starts working and you become a lot more positive. So I said to myself, I'm going to set the alarm clock for six o'clock. You don't have any emotions if you think about your mom or your ex or your kids or whatever. You just get up. And you get everything ready for the kids, you know, the, the lunch packets and everything, what they need. So they're happy. And then you drop them off at school at eight o'clock. And then I went training two hours every single day from that moment and on. And if I'm being a little bit dramatic, I think that really saved my life because it could have gone either way because everything was just so, so heavy on my shoulders. And, and why that was heavy? Because... I was not in control. I was not in control what the outcome is going to be, you know. 
And I've always been in control. You know, if I wanted that <laughs> fucking start, I know that I needed to work hard. I need to believe it. I need to see it. And then I need to do it simple, you know, yeah. uh, even if it was not simple. But here, it was not simple because there was other people telling you this and what about this? And you have done, and you know, there was a lot of blaming that I was not in control of. So I learned how to take those packages away. Like my mom, I will put over here on that shelf and say, you know, I hope that this cancer shit will leave you. And after the operation, you're going to be fine and everything be positive, but I'm not in control of that. There's my ex-wife over here, you know, whatever you says, you know, we've been together for 20 years, whatever you said bad or, or good things about me now, I put you here as well, because that's your opinion. Now we are separated. And of course, then there's going to be different opinions because we are not joining one opinion anymore. And then there's going to be my kids and then there's going to be the financial, you know, and I'm like, okay, so let's buckle down here. Like we, we did in the past. How do we get this goals? And for me, it was about creating routines. It was about doing things that I love. And that brought me off to more positivity and a little bit like Namur, you know, like it will happen. You know, I, I will take that start. I was back on behind the gate again, like, you know, out not believing in myself, not really in control, but then actually getting back and thinking, okay, this is how now I'm behind the gate again. I'm retired, but this next move, what you're going to make is going to be probably some of the most in, important things in your life on your personal level. That was a long Bro, story. Wait, wait. <laughs> no, 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 it's cool. It's, it, you know, it's, it's what makes Brian Jorgensen and that's, I think that's key. And, you know, young people wouldn't have gone through, you know, what uh, you would have gone through up to 16 and losing your dad. Um, so, people have to find different reasons to to motivate themselves to get them up in the morning to get those routines to to instill discipline in in one of the things we all we all know is at 16 years old you you are at that rebellious stage hormones lots of stuff going on with your body um then you're looking at your friends who are going out um you know having fun you know they're just uh, you know, 16 years old, it can probably because they look a little bit older, they can go into nightclubs and start drinking and having mm -hmm. fun, girls and all this sort of stuff. There's all these distractions for motocross riders, you know, it, and it's such a pinnacle age because it's 16 years old. There's people like Herlins and Roxon and stuff like that who are already winning races against adults and, um, you, you know, literally paving out their path in and on their way to becoming a millionaire and signing massive contracts. So, it is, I mean, discipline is is a massive part of what's involved in this sport. And it must be frustrating as a, a coach sometimes when you see these kids coming through with so much talent, but yet are not putting the hard work and the the discipline into taking it to the uh -huh. next level. I mean, as a trainer, that must, I mean, uh, that must be one of the most frustrating parts of your job at the moment, would you say? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I can I can take a good example, um, like uh, Bobby Bruce, you know, working with him since he rode 85. And then we had a bit of a stop and then bringing after 125, uh, the Blue Crew, he decided to join the, the, the Troy Lee uh, Gaskas team with, uh, with uh, in the UK. And yeah. and I think if you literally ask him about Brian Jones, he would say he's mental. You know, because in the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning, when we start training, he 
I don't think it because he didn't want to, but they, you know, couldn't believe that he had to do, you know, so much work. I'm talented. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a talented writer. You know, I've been told for so many years that I'm, you know, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be, be, you know, a big talent and, and, and make great results. And I said, yeah, you know what? That is, that is partly true, but you know, you know, out, you know, work out makes talent. You know, if you don't have the both combination, because that's what happened with the same with me. I, I did my first race when I was 10 years old. I could not get a license and race until I was 10 in Denmark at that time. And I never lost a race until I move up to the one, two, five. And I thought when my dad said to me, oh, Brian, you need to run. I was like, for what? He said, yeah, you need to be more fit. So I said, why do I have to be more fit to win with more seconds? That doesn't make sense to me. You know, it's like, and uh, and then I moved up to the 125 and then they basically just kicked my ass. And that's why I, you know, I fell down from the sky and thinking, so hang on a minute, you know, even if I'm this thing that I have this talent, if I don't work hard for it and if I don't make myself stronger and, you know, I'm just, it's not going to happen. So, and and he said to me, um, absurd as as it was, he said, uh, you have to run two times a week, three kilometers. And I looked at him and was like, are you mental? Like two times a week, <laughs> three kilometers, that's a lot. And uh, in the beginning, I cheated a little bit. And then I went to my first Danish championship being 13 or 14 years old on a 125. And I got absolutely smoked. And then I thought, okay this uh, this bullshit needs to stop here i need to work hard and uh, that's basically some of the stories that i told bobby you know uh, as well you know it, it, i don't care about how big of a talent you is you know if you don't have that work effort that needs to be there if you don't have a reason or uh, a good enough goal to actually work all those hours you know are you doing it for money are you doing it for proving to yourself that you can be the best or what kind of reasons do you have uh, and that's something that we talked a lot about. And, uh, you know, now he's a fucking machine, you know, and, and obviously bad luck turned out this year. Uh, you know, I, I felt that we, we climbed up, you know, a long way uh, to start evolving in, you know, 10, 12, 13 uh, results in the World Championship, MX2. And then this injury happens with his hand, you know, that's just top shit. But I can assure you, that if he gets a ride for next year, he will be back even stronger because at the time that most people think that when you're sitting on the sideline, you feel, oh, why does this happen? Well, I know exactly why it's happened because it happens for a fucking reason. You know, I the injuries that I came back from, I was so much stronger when I came back. And the time that you actually get to sit and think about your life as a racer, where you sometimes take things for granted and then you sit there thinking, fuck, I cannot race for the next three months. You know, I just, I'm not possible that I can do it. Then it really makes you appreciate and you learn a lot more, you know, from appreciating and not taking things for granted. And, you know, that's what we come back to the Instagram, James. And, the, and it was, you know, <laughs> it, you know, live in the, live in the present moment, you know, uh, because this, when you sit behind that gate and that, drops you know the bullshit stops and fucking go out and do your best right the hardest what you can get the best out of it because you do not know one little twist one little mistake you know from you or from another rider or even the bike there's three people that can make this happen it can be over anytime 
so that's something that I try to teach the writers, you know, live in the present moment of today, when we're going practicing today, you know, when you tie that helmet, and I still have that big respect for the sport, even if I go riding today, I always sit there, you know, with a couple of seconds on myself thinking, okay, so this was a good day, bad day. Now I'm on a motocross bike. I'm doing what I love. When I tied that helmet, I just leave five seconds to myself because then all memories from that day, even if it's good or bad, they disappear. Because now I know this is time for me to go out and ride. And the consequences of not being 100% in my mindset can actually dearly cost something that I don't want to spend now you know <laughs> you know when yeah. i was racing i didn't i you know when i was ra- racing for a living i didn't care about if i get you know paralyzed or you know even die or whatever i you know could be the consequences because i was there to race the hardest you know and it's one of the toughest sports in the world i wanted to bring it all out there and and i knew the consequences every time that i raced and i always said you know to people that know me well i said if something happens I know that I will, I will be a lot happier doing what I love than you know being a nobody and go to the disco and then get driven down or get stepped down from the from the disco on the way home. From then you know if I had a chance to relive that, then I would be really pissed off. But doing what I love, race the hardest, being one hundred percent physical and mentally prepared for what I do, that can never go wrong. You know, it's, the consequences are going to be what they're going to be. And um, and that's something you know. I think it's 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 nice because it kind of leaves that fear. And uh, for most people, that could be afraid. You know, if you're afraid of racing and if you're afraid of of doing your best, you're not doing it for the right reasons. So I always say to people first, find the right reason. What is your desire to go out and put your line in in risk? What do you want to What do you want to get out of it? Do you want to be famous on Instagram? Because then don't worry, it's not going to happen. But if you have it for something that's going to be in here, you know, and that was my story of my racing. When my dad died, I remember thinking to myself, I have two choices now. I can be the victim and you're never going to achieve a fuck all in life. Or you you can be the guy. Yeah. Or you can be the guy that shut up. And then you just try to be the best of yourself. And if you do that and you work hard, I always had a feeling that my dad would look down on me and he would think, you know what, getting up at four o'clock in the morning, working till, you know, four or five in the afternoon, then going out practicing with myself to eight o'clock and then basically going home, getting dinner and go to sleep and do it again the next day and, and all the racing that we did. You know, it got to be worth it. You know, if he can see down, and I believe he did, and many attempts, you know, many occasions, um, I believe he looked down and he was proud of me never quitting, never giving up, because it makes everything worthwhile, you know. And and yeah. I think that's something as well, you know, there's a lot of pointers that I want to give to the young kids today, but uh, you know, when I work with, with people, you know, over a season, it's, it's, it's this, my training school or the way that I teach is not about only being a good racer. It's about being a good person. And it's about giving your best and it's about respecting other people because when you, you know, respecting people, you get respect back and, and it all snowballs on a, on a positive mindset. 
And when you have a positive mindset, you you can do great things in life. You know, you can do things, and I prove it. I can do things that I I didn't even think that was possible. Nobody thought that I could become, you know, one of the best riders in in the MXGP class. And uh, I made that happen from being the first professional rider ever coming out of Denmark and hopefully created new ways from TKO and, and other great riders in Denmark at the moment, you know, that they can see that fucking hell, if Brian, he can do it, that plunker, then, uh, you know, I can do it as well, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, uh, it's, the, so I think uh, that's the, Dan- yeah. the Danish scene seems to be um, definitely developing. There seems to be a good vibe with the uh, Danish championship at the moment. I'm going to try and get over and get to a round next year uh, for MX yeah. Vice. Um, and, you know, we, we can see from the listeners, you know, how many people out of Denmark are, are listening to the show. But, you know, this next generation of riders coming through. Um, there's positive things happening, hey, for, for Danish athletes at the mm. moment. Yeah, I think it's a, you know, I think we have a, a pretty good system with with Team Denmark, or you can see that at least we we are trying to do. And and when I retired, I work as a national coach of Denmark. You know, was privileged to work with Rasmus Jorgensen, TKO, Stefan Olsen, many great riders that became great riders. You know, obviously, you know Rasmus Jorgensen um, had the story that he had in his life, and you think, fuck, you know, you know going in Lomo to you know to sign a, a deal to to do one race uh, at the world championship in Lomen and finish six as, as a nobody and then you're thinking fuck yeah you know as a national coach you think yes finally I have fucking you know <laughs> I have actually race horses instead of donkeys you know and yeah. uh, and I, I thought I could create something really nice out of that and then you know two months later you know he he had a big crash he broke his pel. Uh, he broke his his pelvis, and then I said, "Okay, then fucking go for operation on your knee because he lost his crucial ligament on the back of the knee in the beginning of the season." But it was not so crucial because the front crucial ligament, you know, makes all the stability. But the the, the ligament on the back, the crucial ligament on the back, actually over the overextension, and because you wear he wore knee braces, I knew it's not going to be a problem for him. But then his pelvis broke. So and then I said, okay, then you go to a team, get your knee fixed. And then he went to that. Coming back from that, starting to go to the gym, rode on a scooter together with TKO's brother and got ridden down in the dark because a guy came with a scooter with no light on, went down in the ditch, lost his nerve down to his left arm, to his left arm, and couldn't lift his arm anymore. So he couldn't he could never lift, he you know, had to go with his arm on the on the handlebar. So he could not yeah. use the roll-up. So basically, you know, and then his dad died, you know, three months after. So you went from like up high and then thinking, what the fuck, what is happening? You know, I just had this talent and mostly for himself, but when, of course, through like a, you know, incredible kind of one and a half year. And, uh, and, and that's what happens sometimes, you know, that, uh, that, but, but that was, that was also something that, um, that was great. Then he started working actually with TKO and, and helping him because he had to finish his his motocross career of that incident, not because he came back from injury, because someone was, was without a light and rode him down in a ditch and happens, you know, and, and you think, why is this happening for me? But then, you know, maybe things are happening for the reason he helped Thomas to become, you know, into the Jackie Martins team. 
And then he later took off the Nestan, you know, factory Husqvarna team and became a team manager. So they maybe that was his destiny, you know. And I believe a lot in that, you know, in in life. Like I said, I I'm not a spiritual guy, but I have a good sense of of uh, trying to make the right the right decisions for myself, and you know, not only now but also in the future. And and I always meeting people. I need to have a good feeling with people, you know. Maybe I'm a, maybe a, a little bit spiritual inside, or just have a a good stomach or gut feeling, you know, because that's the only way I could. I could pass on my career was really to live my life with a with a lot of heart and and set goals for myself to become who I wanted to or who I became, you know. So, so there's a good situation in in Denmark in the moment, and I think at least I have a lot of inspiration. You know, I was probably one of the first in Denmark that signed a professional contract, and TKO became you know two times on the podium in the World Championship MX2, and I believe could have done. You know, a lot more. Unfortunately, what happened to him was very unfortunately, and yeah. and personally, I, I know him really well. I'm really sorry for that because I spoke with him in Latvia that day in the morning after I had not seen him for a while, and I, I said to him, "You can do great things because this 450 is exactly what it's all about for you to win a world championship." Because on the 250, he was he was a big guy, and was there big. was a lot of. <laughs> Even if you have a, a, a fast bike, you know, there's a lot of big weight to be carried. And when you're up against Prado, which would, without a doubt, get into that first corner first, and then he would put the hammer down the first eight laps. If you're not there, it's not going to happen, you know. And yeah. uh, that's why I was I was so happy when he moved to the two, the 450 class because I thought, give him three years, and then he would be, he would be up there. And then this happens. Yeah, I was in, I'm in total agreement with you. Um, you know, like going back to to Rasmus, you know, if mm. th- there is a story there that no matter what happens in life, um, mm. you have two options. Hey, the easiest option is just to say, ah, oh, everybody's against me. I'm, you know, mm. that's the easy way. The easy way is just to like, yeah, blame everybody else and in uh, just you know milk the the situation but you know for you for rasmus for everybody else who's climbed out of that you know that ditch so to speak and just said no this is not going to define me um mm. th- there's a great story there to say right okay this wasn't my destiny however what mm. i'm currently doing now which is running one of the most successful mx2 teams with some incredible talent um mm. you know this is where i am so it's amazing that right. rasmus is you know the story of rasmus is is fantastic and that's you know it's, it's uh you know, complete credit to him to uh, of t- mm. choosing what path to take. And it will be the same for, for TKO as well. It will be, you know, I'm sure uh, at some point we'll see him pop back up again and, and maybe he will be the the Brian Jorgensen of, of coaching. So yeah, um, you, you, you never know, you know, it's it, it, coaching is such a, it's such a privileged thing to, to have because, you know, I remember, Starting coaching, I only wanted to work with the best riders in the world. You know, I've, you know, gotta be people on my own level so I can relate to them. And and then you think, why is that actually? Because you know, teaching someone that is not so experienced is also a great feeling. You know, but it took me a while to get out of that. You know, professionalism of mindset where you just want to work. You know, when you say something, when I work with the Danish Federation and and Rasmus and. I just want to, why, why don't you understand what I'm saying? You know, I'm fucking showing it as well. I'm privileged that I could, you know, had a good speech though. And and it took you a while and you think if I had to work with 
other writers that doesn't have you know a clue what you're talking about then it's going to be even more frustrating you know but then i actually changed my mindset again i'm thinking okay so to become a good coach is not only about training with the best it's try to relate to every single personality uh, and level as possible so i need to start to evaluate myself and actually listening to what i'm actually saying because i could maybe say with you know the direct way to become faster in that corner but if the guy is missing 10 steps before he comes into the corner I'm not going to get the value out of what he exit the corner in the speed that I want him to come in because if if he doesn't have the 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 mindset the skills the experience is that technique is not going to work you know standing up you know wide open and you know yeah but then you fucking need to be doing it over 10 you know 10,000 hours you know every every year to to become to that level where you're so confident that you can stand up to the middle of the corner and know exactly how much to break and lean and you know so they you know to becoming a coach it's such a difficult thing and i would say in many ways it's not for everyone if you want to become a coach because you have to put yourself to side and then just thinking okay how can i help this person to to be the the greatest version of himself not become a world champion because what I realized, you know, not everyone wants to become a world champion, you know, but I take it so seriously when people say, I want to win races and I want to become, and I'm like, oh, so what do you want to win? He said, I want to be a world champion. Okay. So world champion. Okay. So that means just to get clear before we start. So that means that you want to train, you want to get up at six, seven o'clock every morning. You want to do your drills. You want to train six, seven hours uh, a day. 365 days a year you want to sacrifice you know your friends your girlfriend you know what whatever you and then you ask them again so so what was your what was your goal with with motocross and if they say yes yeah then you think you have a better option but then you still need to do it you know then i would see okay this is where the boot camp starts we start at six we start running we start doing and then you will find out you know very easily doing a, a week what they have and what they don't have and the desire what what they're doing it for was it for for facebook or was it for instagram you know so yeah. um i think it's it's very uh it's very important to understand that uh, you know if you want to be good at the sport you really need to to learn to uh, to dig down and, and dig deep so you've obviously rattled off quite a few hours now in the whole coaching um with kids and stuff and you've seen a lot you've kind of experienced a lot um what three things can you say to um because we, we you know i go i i'll go to my local meeting you know our support is you know just because i enjoy watching racing so i'll go and we, we sponsor a load of kids and stuff so i'll go there and you can't help but watch kind of uh, motocross dads who possibly maybe have done a little bit of motocross before or sometimes they haven't done motocross at all and they're shouting and telling their kids and giving advice and you just have to st- stand there and just like not say anything which is always hard for me um but what three things brian for dads who are kind of like listening to this at work um or on their way to work or their dad and sons in the van on the way to uh riding the weekend they're listening to this podcast what three things would you tell dad what are the three things what could could help him um with get the most out of 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 their journey um in having fun with this sport so you know it, 
a lot of people will um, say my son's got to have the, the latest bike with uh, a 6,000 pound engine, although it's a KTM 50 um, and, and, and so on and so on. But I'm, I'm sure there's some, some basic, some basic knowledge, which uh, is, is very fruitful. What you can sort of offer um, those dads. Well, what, what would it be with all the things that you've come across? What three things do you think would really help develop their child? I would obviously have been a lot more happy if what you said, what is the what is the first 30 or 50 things that you can <laughs> <laughs> I just I just make no. life harder for you. Just roll, rolling it yeah. down to the top three. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, honestly, uh honestly, James, I, I think the most important thing is to set equal goals. You know, I think this is what goes wrong in, in a lot of, you know, the that, you know, you have a couple of different people of 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 that you have the dad that never rode a motorcycle he do not know what he's talking about he's just heard and seen and you know if he's screaming at his kid then i'm also going to scream because he's fairly good and they are you know that's that's what i need but you know what we're working with different personalities we're working with different people and 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 i think one of the most important thing is to set equal goals as first you know what do you want to get out of this sport what do you want to do what do you want to put in to get this out you know because this is also the in you know to put in we we also need to 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 put something out you know so that means if i buy you the bike you know and because that have never ridden a motorcycle he thinks you know let me buy you the best bike because, you know, at 50 and I'm going to be that like 6,000 pound bike with the engine that runs, you know, 15 kilometers of um, uh, faster down the straight. Are you going to help your kid? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, get them right on a stock bike. I actually think in my opinion, all 50 should be standard and, and let them ride just on that because learn them, learn them how to ride the motorcycle first and learn them to have fun. You know, when they have fun, they move up to the 85 or 65 when it becomes a little bit more serious. Still, you know, try to make it as basic as possible with the bike. You know, ride a bike, a newer bike, you know, and change the bike all uh, out all the time because in that way you save a lot more budget and, uh, and and not have to fix this. You know, people will buy even a, a old used bike, but it's the fastest bike because the guy won the championship last year and then we buy, you know, we buy success. But, you know, that success that we buy over the 65 and in 50 and, and in 85, mm-hmm. it becomes very, you know, determined when we go up to the 125 because then you actually need to be learn how to ride a motorcycle. You know, and then you can maybe have the best bike, but that's not going to make you win. But it did on 65 and 50, you know, because it could run 15, 20 kilometers an hour faster to the corner on automatic clutch, of course, you're going to fucking be fairly good, you know? <laughs> uh, so I always said, you know, try to, you know, be good with, you know, setting equal goals, you know, uh, with the parents, let them lead the way. You know, if there's one thing that I'm the most proud of, the way that I'm brought up, is that my dad, we we'd never had a lot of money, but we had enough to raise. But my dad always said, we pay the bills first. And when we have paid the bills, if we have, 500 pounds left or we have 20 pounds left that will be what we'll be able to spend this month or this week or whatever it is you know so he was very he never borrowed money for raising this is what we have this is what we can do and we cannot do more uh, and we will definitely not do less you know and uh, and that really taught me a lot about you know he would be so strict 
with me about the bike, uh, you know, helping with the bike. If I came out and he came home, he's been out since four o'clock in the morning and I've been chatting around and, and you know, and forgot a boot or forgot one glove so I could not do the training. That would be the same as kicking him in the balls and say, fuck you. That's the <laughs> feeling that I gave him because he's like, I got out four o'clock this morning. I worked my ass off the whole day. And the only thing you had to do was to pack your back and check over and over and over again. One, two, three, four times you had anything. If you cannot do that, I am not going to sacrifice all this bullshit with being out with you, getting up early in the morning if you cannot even do that. So, you know, again, involve your kids in the process of, learning how to be organized because there'll be a fucking day where they come down to the, you know, you've been traveling for 17 hours a race and then you come down to the line and they had just been chit chatting on fucking Snapchat or Instagram. And then they forgot the right hand, you know, the right glove or the, Oh, where's my goggles? You know, it's like yeah. when I saw, and I have a, I have a funny story when the first time I start working with TKO and, and Stefan Olsen, they complained after the first race and I was like always watching at the races thinking, what do they say? And they, I think it was Thomas. Don't get me wrong if it was not him, but it was either Thomas or Stefan. He came in and they got so pissed off with the mum because the mum had put the role of film in wrong or something happened with the goggles and they start blaming the mum. And I was sitting there and I was like, Brian, you don't fucking go mental. Don't say anything. Don't say anything but I couldn't hold it back. I was like, what the fuck is happening here? So I said, who is doing those goggles? Yeah, my mom was doing the goggles. They said, excuse me, is it your mom that is riding on a motorcycle? Or are you the guy that rides on a motorcycle? Obviously, your eyes is your safety. It's your responsibility. So if you cannot take over of your own bag and your own preparation of your goggles, then there's something wrong. Then you're never going to make a fucking champion. I can assure you of that. And then they start making their own goggles, you know? And that's yeah. what I mean, like trying to involve the kids. If you, if I'm going to do, you know, the money side, the, the dad side, and, you know, trying to get everything ready, you do your goggles, you do your responsibilities. Because if you give kids no responsibility, they think the fucking thing just dropped down from the sky. You know, oh yeah, I, I, I work, I have worked and seen kids where the dad have to encourage the rider Oh, could you, you know, now we drove like 1,700 kilometers down to Spain. Brian is standing outside. Could you put your gear on? And I'm like, already there. I'm like, holy shit, this is going to be a long day. Because yeah. when I came back from school and I knew that I had one and a half hour, I've, I went out in the workshop. I packed everything. I took all my motocross gear mostly on many times. It was not, it wasn't, it was less than one hour. I was all packed and I was ready and I almost had my fucking goggles on, you know, and we were not even, we were not even in the van yet. You know, I was on the roll off, ready to go. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's how, you know, that my dad, I believe could see that this is fucking, this is worth doing because he yeah. wanted so bad as you want to, he want to breed, you know, he wants, he only think about motocross. He only, you know, talk about motocross and he wants to do it. You know, the winning for me was, was, was something that came from me. I didn't have to win for my dad. And that's what I'm proud of. I'm coming back to the story. When he 
had all that pressure financially, had to work really hard with my mom as well, being a part-time uh, worker because otherwise we just couldn't get it to, to work at home, you know, from school and everything else. And then, you know, he would switch from being that hard person, you know, very, uh, very hard and very, you know, you only get one fucking chance. The next, the next 10 you will feel, you know, so you knew that you have one option <laughs> and, and that was great. But when the gate drops or before you go out and went out racing, he had never said to me, oh, you wrote shit, you did this and that. He was actually one time in the Danish championship, I was winning my last championship on 85 and I had like a 35 second lead in the first moto and I need to win the second moto and I needed to win that moto and because I had such a lead he was standing on the track like trying to <laughs> to put the speed oh, down <laughs> telling me to go slower and I looked at him and I remember I, I actually I cannot remember if I'm saying but I actually think I crashed because I got I, I always raced from the first moment the gate dropped to the checkered flag. That was my focus. When when I could focus there, I just did best what I could. Boom, finished. But then you see your fucking dad as an idiot standing to putting you down, like, go no, slower. I was just like, I, I think I actually I crashed, and I was like, what the hell are you doing? You're telling me to go slow. I'm in my zone. I'm doing the thing what, I'm, what I love and I do. If I win with 35 seconds or 40 seconds, it doesn't matter. What is important for me is that I do every corner, every straight, every lap as good as I can. So never do that again. So he never did that again. But what I do admire him for was that he never put pressure on him, on me, you know. He always yeah. was happy when I came in. He always gave me a clap on the shoulder and fuck, this was yogurt because then my brother was racing as well and we won everything, you know, basically in every class. So we didn't have a lot of friends, you can imagine. Uh, because we came out as the the brother Jorgensen family, and we pretty much swiped every you know every class that we we raced you know from from a young age. But we were always close as a family. You know, my dad said, "Who was them that won today?" That was the family for Jorgensen off, you know. And we was we were making a song into it, and uh, we always did that. And you know, we did it again. You know, we came out of as a family. We was together, and we raced home as a family. And but you know. There was also times when I didn't win, when my dad was still like, you, you did a good job and you did your best, you know. And that was really the core of my career that I think I can relate to and give, you know, great um, experience to, to, to parents. Let them race for themselves. You, know? you will find out if they want to be the best, you know. You, you, either you have it or you don't. And, yeah. you know, you can still have fun with racing if you don't have it. You know, that, that's okay. But then just be honest with yourself. Be honest with your dad and said, you know, this is the level that I want to do. I love to go on riding, but I don't like to work hard for it. And then you can agree. Maybe those six bikes is not uh, necessary this year. Maybe we just have two bikes or one bike, you know? And that's a kid. Yeah, you know, and, and, and it's okay. You know, not everyone, it's not for everyone that wants to be a champion. And, and I think that's the thing that I learned to understand a lot more working with other people that, you know, I have people coming on my training school and in Red Sand in the winter that just really just want to have fun. And that's why I created, you know, boot camps 
with don't sign on to a boot camp if you don't want to work you know just giving you good advice james <laughs> yeah. um <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll just be the... in the villa eating chocolate for that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no but then sign on to the to the normal camp where where it's it's a different level that we you know my training will still be the same but i am not as as hard you know uh, because I do realize there's people that come from, you know, a bit of holiday, let's go riding and get some tips off Brian and and maybe some of the stories that he have to tell. And and that's great. And then there's people that comes, you know, on my boot camp that really want to be pushed and and understand what tiredness is because people think they can wake up at every single race and be 100%. I can assure you there were so many times that I woke up when I was – I was really tired because of the working effort that I put in during the week. But you know what? The show must go on. And when you're a factory rider for Yamaha, Suzuki, or Honda, they do not give a shit how you feel. You are hired to race and to race hard and to give your best. And that's why you learn to deal with the emotions, you know, and yeah. always go out and just, just do it for yourself. Because I remember my experience signing with factory Suzuki in 99, after being, you know, a great one-two-five rider, one-two-five rider had many podiums with with Rob Hooper in the UK, and also with David Forb. I was riding also for David Forb. Yeah. But signing up with a factory team was was definitely something that I always dreamed of. But the experience and what I learned that year was something that I could not ever imagine to learn about myself because. When I came in with Rob and we finished on the podium, he would be over the moon, you know, and, and the same with Dave, you know, when we won a British championship or whatever we did together. You know, everyone will be appreciated and, you know, that that's where the level was. But when you're riding with a factory team and I was the first 250, you know, to go up in the 250 class with the big boys, I uh, I was not expecting everyone to put pressure on me because the contract was a, you know, one-year contract with a two-year's option. And that mean that I will have time to learn. I had a Japanese mechanic that was working on the R&D in Japan for many years. He came over. He didn't speak a word of English. Um, so there was a lot of new things that I had to be taught as well. But what I learned the most and, and probably learned the, the great mindset of racing was that, you know, when I came in, in the beginning of the season, they said to me, you know, if you can finish top 10 in the world, uh, we would be more than happy. And then I did all the pre-seasons of, uh, before the season started. And I was consistent top three, you know, battling with Stefan and, and, and uh, you know, Bouquet before Stefan crashed and with Bali and, and, and the other guys. And uh, then Suzuki changed the mindset. And that's, again, James and Edwards, what we come back to, you know, having agreement from the start of the season, what is the goal? So my goal was to finish top 10 in the world. You know, and that was Suzuki's goal. And that was realistic with, with a bit of luck and, you know, me adapting to the 250. But when we came home after the third race, you know, the Japanese came and uh, we had a meeting suddenly before 14 days before the first world championship. And they said, Brian, um, we know that, you know, Coppins is, is doing well as well. And Leon Gispers is doing well, but you are doing extremely well. So that means that we're going to put all the pressure. Like, they didn't say pressure, of course, but that was something that I put on myself. But they said, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we, we want to, we're going to put all effort in for you to win the world championship this year. Holy and shit. when he, when he said that, 
I mean, it was like a brick that just fell from the sky and it was way over a ton and just landed on my shoulder. It was like, you know, I couldn't believe what, what they actually told me, like, you know, and, and that's where the whole parcel, the, 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 the parcel of, of my mindset just fall to pieces because I was never used to that. I was, I came in because with my heart, I raced as good as I could. I never had, you know, a lot of pressure. My family never put pressure, even there was maybe you know at times financial pressure and suddenly people just lifted all that weight on my shoulder and I was not used to race like that so I would come in you know from a race being top six and in my mindset top six from goals of being top 10 in the world was fucking it was amazing you know I was happy I was over the moon I was happy as Larry you know laughing coming in and then the first people that you look on in the sport the people that stand you close and that was Sylvain Gabors and, you know, Eric Gabors and those people. And they were not smiling because their mindset and their goals was for me to win the world championship. And that's not going to happen with a, with a consistent top eight or top six in the world, you know. But for me, yeah. it was, do you understand it? For me, it was that was fucking yes. Yeah. And then I see people just, it, it didn't look much yes. <laughs> it, it looks more <laughs> like a disappointment, more like a, a disappointment, you know. And... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We, why are we not <laughs> laughing? You know, and uh, and that really put a lot of pressure on me because then instantly I felt that I needed to, you know, here I was riding on my limits, but to achieve what they want me to achieve, I have to go way over that. You know, I have to go way over, cross over that line, and that means that I am not in control anymore because I'm not riding inside myself. I'm riding for some other person. You know, yeah. and and that's where you know big crashes start to to happen. You know, Majora, on that big downhill, I had the biggest crash of my life. Actually, you know, fighting with with uh, Ryan Hughes and and Monik Berbots and Trockard was was also up there, and and they, I just start taking ridiculous risk and jumping all the way to the bottom of the hill to gain you know a hundred to be able to set up a pass on Ryan Hughes for a block pass and. And we all knew that he was quite a, a tough guy. So if you wanted to pass him, you really needed to <laughs> to come in there with confidence and you only had one shot. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I, I set all that up and I had the biggest crash of my life. I landed in a rain rod in the bottom of the hill. And, you know, I, I started taking risks that I was not in, in control of. And that's, uh, you know, that's what I said, the, the great things. And I tell that story to, to parents as well. You know, you've got to be so... In, you know careful and the third thing when you said so that was that was two things uh, James has said and the, the third thing never compare your son to some other son you know you, yeah but okay. you you right. one of him when he was on a when he was on a 50 and yeah but you know all kids and that's what I work with so many different kids and you know what they work so individual they work so different in the mindset the body develops you know and even with my my own kids and my stepson that also writes, you know, he have grown maybe, you know, in sizes in, in eight or six months, he have grown like three or four sizes in shoes and he's gone up. Now he rides on the 85 and now I'm thinking, you know, you know, he want to continue in, in 85 because he's he's only uh, just 13, but you need to move to a one to five, maybe because this is not going to happen, you know, and yeah. uh, 
and it, and and it's so important to uh, to explain those kids you know don't look at other people of who he was there and now he's here and look here he's now he's better than you because we all work in different mindset and different developing so you know even if you don't make it here maybe you're going gonna make it uh, later and that's probably what's happening with also mxcp and you know uh, mx2 with this limit of of eight i think it puts in my opinion maybe a lot of pressure on the young kids you know if you're not proud of and you're 16 17 and already been a, been a world champion you're not going to make it but you know telling my story i know it was a different era but i didn't start world championship till i was 20 you know i, and I would probably not develop to to do world championship than that that late in 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 my years my my obviously reason was because of many things, you know, there was two years there where I needed to get my shit together and then, you know, finding out how can I ever go out and get money to, to race. And I didn't even have a driving license. So I told my mom when I was 16, when my dad passed away and I wanted to go riding, I told her to, I pick up a friend and down the road. And, you know, to be honest with you, I drove to races being 16, 17 years old. I didn't have a driving license, just, you know, waiting at the track too late because someone told me to scare me off that the police was there. So I was sitting there to 12 o'clock in the night until I could see there was nobody people there. And then I started up my big, my big Mercedes 508. And then I traveled home to, from Jutland to Denmark, traveling 400 kilometers alone, you know, but that was the sacrifices that I made. And during my first European championship, as, as I told many people in my life story that, you know, I had to steal diesel because I, you know, I didn't, I thought I was going to qualify, but when I didn't get the qualify money, I had to tell my friend and, and mechanic that just stop here on this fuel station. Now, now we'll, you know, just go to sleep. And my dad learned me, he was a, he was a truck driver and uh, he had a deal with, don't tell that to the tax people, but he had a deal that he could, you know, on a Friday, he could fill up the, the, yeah. the big truck and then he could suck the diesel and then we put it into the, to the diesel tank of our house, you know? Yeah, yeah. So he learned me how to to suck vacuum, oh, and uh, yeah. So that's what I did. You know, when, when I didn't qualify, I I just had to park next to a big truck, and and uh, I had this hose pipe, and I sucked the diesel, and then he will be waking up in the morning thinking, "How in the hell did you fill up the van? I didn't even hear it." So I said, "No, I was really I drove really quiet because I didn't want him to to." you know, to know that I was stealing, you know, because it was not something I was proud of. It was just, it was just emergency. It was either that or not going racing. You know? um, so that's the, that's the sacrifices or you can say, but I had to be a little bit dodgy and, 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 and do what it takes to, to live my dream. And that's why the passion of what I do and what I did, you know, came with such a big rucksack of, of things that I had to do to get here, you know, so you fucking sit behind the line and you think there is nothing here that I can be scared of because, no. you know, for me, scared was not to could be a, a thought to go racing. And you know what? I thought a lot about, you know, Hunter Lawrence, when he came out with that comment, he said, oh, how do you deal with pressure? And I could relate so much to what he said because he said pressure for me is not about winning or winning a championship or not winning a championship pressure was for me when we didn't have money to eat and that's a very good 
you know, perspective of life. You know, you, you've got to deal with pressure for what could be pressure for you, could be a different pressure for me, but it all your values up on what I have experienced in life, you know? So if I have experienced more horrible things, pressure, what I'm dealing with here, doing what I love with the right passion, with the, you know, that's fucking not pressure. That's not pressure. That's just racing. You know, that's a completely different approach. And that's what, you know, I learned also a little bit later on with Ricky Carmichael. He told me, like he said, I was working so hard during the weeks that the racing weekend where normally people would think there would be a lot of pressure. It was just an easy weekend for me because I was just, I was, I knew that I'm going to win because nobody wants to train as hard as me, you know? So weekends became easy where if you don't train hard in the week, you know, weekends becomes like, oh, it's, it's really hard because there's a lot of pressure. There's, you know, but fucking standing with his mom, you know, tipping over his finger when he was not using the brakes in the proper way or slapping him or whatever. I mean that was that was that was real pressure because that was your mom, you know, you you the one yeah. that loves you and 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 you came out of, you know. So I, um, there's still, a lot of things. Yeah. I'm still kind of laughing at the uh, if I don't qualify, I'm going to be tasting diesel for the next seven days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 was horrible. But you know what, I. Uh, I went home after I only did three rounds of the European Championship that year. I believe it was uh, 2000, not 2000, I always forget, 1992. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a funny little story I can tell you. So I was always watching the big guys. And we went to, to Gildorf and they didn't have any, you know, like Kyoto and those guys that was on top, uh, Alexander Kyoto, they didn't have any body armor. And I came out with this massive body armor. I, thought, I looked like a right twat. And that's why I'm, I'm, you know, that's why I'm not qualifying. So I took the fucking yeah. body armor off. I'm going to be a fucking tough guy now just with a shirt and everyone can see that I'm toned and, you know, I'm going to be a tough yeah. motherfucker until I came out on the track and it was rock. <laughs> it was fucking rock hard thinking, shit, if I crash here, <laughs> I'm just... I am going to have no arms and legs. (laughs) (laughs) So I rode probably like three seconds within my limit, you know, because I I just was so afraid to to crash. And I think, fucking hell, those guys are tough, you know. Um, So then I took my body arm off and I went down to the tent to actually get my body arm off. But by the time I came back, I only had four minutes left. (laughs) So so I I didn't qualify. And that was another race to go home without having money to actually affording to come home so that's why i need to steal the diesel but the <laughs> next year i got some more budget together i i really dig you know i i went actually from the ktn to honda my my honda at that time was always a dream of mine when i rode 85 uh, i rode kawasaki and then because of the financial uh, situation we got a really good help with a bike called kajiva which was actually oh, later on became Husqvarna in, in you know, Kajiva was with Dave Stripers and Pekka and was was world champions with those bikes back in 86 or 87. But they were horrible, you know, they break ill all the time. We were doing more welding than we were riding on the bike. So when I got like a KTM, it was, it was already an upgrade because it was from the KTM factory, got some good parts. And uh, I finished seven in the European Championship and second in the Danish Championship with that bike. And then the next year, I signed a contract with Honda. And my dream was Honda, you know, everything from the grips to the, it was just, yeah, it was just amazing. 
And uh, I love that bike so much. And all, you know, when you screw a screw in and it was just everything, the quality back at, you know, it's probably the same today, but it meant so much to me to change to this brand. And uh, then I became Danish champion and European champion and basically didn't, you know, didn't lose a race in the U- the Danes championship and was fighting with Sebastian Tutelli to win the, the European championship with him that year. And my worst position was a second place. So uh, I grew a lot as well because, uh, you know, I never took a moment for granted of, of uh, what I did because I remember two years back, I didn't have money to, to go anywhere or, <clears throat> you know, trying to be something that I was not. <clears throat> and, uh, then I took my body arm on and then uh, got on with the job. And uh, and it was only later on in, in, in my GP career that I took my body arm off. And when I say that to, to the riders today, I said I didn't have any body arm on. But that was for different reasons because then I knew that I had a lot of confidence in myself. I used my no body armor to actually um, stay focused. Uh, because some races I would actually take my, I had like a little foam body armor, which is just mm. a, a bit of foam here in the front. But those factory 450s at that time even, you know, was was quite powerful. And the track was not so well prepared, so there would be a lot of stones coming on. But I instantly didn't take a body, body armor on because I knew that I would get a good start because the pain would be so horrendous. <laughs> that we don't get a start. Yeah, so you know, I, I use some psychological games to get through my career, and <clears throat> and I think also today, <clears throat> you know, there's great you know, protection out there, and <clears throat> we can agree or disagree on 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 neck braces and all that. I'm not even gonna get into that. But when people come for me for my advice, and I said, you know what, you can use my advice for fuck all, because I am me, you are you, and this is your son. So you find out in your family what is the most valuable thing for you guys. Maybe he wants to be completely covered up in in protection, and that's fine. But I didn't want to be covered up because I was fit. I trained a lot. You know, I was I had more muscles than fat, and this was my focus zone. You know, when I when when I knew I was fit, I felt I could do anything, and I knew the consequences. What will happen if you go down Fox Hill? you know, wide open on a 450 and you fall off. I knew the consequences with no protection. But again, I always believe that things will happen if they happen. And in that way, I left all fear. I've never been afraid of riding motorcycles. I'm still not today because people say to me, why do you still want to ride? Why do you want to put yourself in that risk? So I said, for me, it's not risk. This is about life of quality. You know, because I know that when I sit on the bike, I can have a stressful day. I can have a lot of parents calling me. and this. But when I put that helmet on, nobody can call me. <laughs> That's great. I don't have to answer any mails. You know, I can just be I like me. That and yeah, and ride and have fun and take every corner, every straight as good as I'm capable of doing in my age of time. Yeah. And I think that's what many people can use auto motocross for. You know, I heard that also from, I had great friends. There was, you know, big lawyers, business and that. And you think, why are you riding motocross? You're a fucking top lawyer in Denmark. You know, he said, you know what? All this bullshit that I'm dealing with, you know, 24 seven almost. When I get on that motocross bike, nobody can call me. I can see no males. 
I cannot hear fucking divorces or he want to kill this or he want to kill that. I just want to ride a motorcycle and I'm completely free, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, that's, a, I never thought about it that way. You know, I did it because of my passion and, and I wanted to be the best and people use it for other things. So I guess that brings the perspective of, of how we can love this sport in so many different ways. Yeah. And I guess that translates with the types of people that would come on your coaching because, you know, you know, over the years I've always tried to, um, learn from other people so obviously the more knowledge you got and the better that you can uh, ride um then the safer you are so mm. as you get to, i'm 48 as well so as i get to this age i don't want to be injured myself i just want to have fun on a motorcycle but if there's ways that i can improve how i ride and mm. i can continue to improve which means i stay on the bike a lot more than i'm on the floor um yeah. and i can enjoy that then um i think that's another thing which uh i guess you know, coaching can be for all ages. Hey, Brian, it's not just a case mm. of, of young kids. There's going to be, I'm guessing you've probably trained people, you know, um, your age and above. Yeah, definitely. And and that's what I say to them. You know, when I go riding, you know, I don't have to go on my limits. I don't want to go on my limits, but I can still ride fast because of my technical capabilities are so good because this is what I've done all my life almost, you know. And yeah. that's why, you know, to go out and enjoy what I do takes two things for me. It takes fitness. You know, I, I train to still have that feeling because the, 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 the harsh reality of motocross is also if, you, if you're not fairly fit, you know, and, and you want to go that level that I think that I can, that I can go. And I need to have a good lung capacity. I, I know what to do. I know everything is there. It's just to bring it together. And if I did a lot of training on the bike, I could probably reach the same level that I was before because now I'm a lot more smarter. Um, but the aim of the game for me is not to go out and race anybody or to show, you know, yeah, I can still do it. You know, I've been asked, I did the World Bet in Farley Castle probably four years ago or five years ago. And and for me, it was still not, you know, it's never been, since I've retired, it's never been about showing who Brian Jorgensen is or who Brian Jorgensen was. It's about living in my moment of time and doing the best uh, of what I'm capable of doing, you know, despite the, the feeling or the opinion what other people have. And that is really difficult to come to that point. And, you know, I got invited this year as well. And I said, I would love to come to Fox Hill. And, uh, but I'm, I'm not ready because I know that I'm such a big, you know, I, I never think about critique from other people. I think about critique from myself because I know yeah. what I want and I know that, you know, why I train and what I do, even with cycling, I'm always trying to be a little bit better. And to be honest with you, to go out cycling and train with Bobby and, you know, the other good riders that I'm working with, I set a pride in being fit as I am. Of course, I'm get proud when people say, fucking hell brian you are unbelievable strong you know but i also know that it comes not for free so i have to put effort in and i'm happy that i have a lifestyle where this allows me to do this because it's my job as well you know to be fit and showing and being a good ambassador for myself but also for the sport and so when i go on the motocross bike i'm always fit i train a lot not to be a world champion anymore but just to be able to do what i want to do because i know that if i sit on the couch thinking that I'm going to go to the world red just to show people I would be the most unhappy guy 
you know, people can say, <laughs> oh, it was great to see you. But I would be with my chin down thinking you didn't even write to your fully capability because you didn't do a fuck all. You know, and I will never be. I have so much respect for the sport that to the day I will keep myself fit is when I will allow myself to keep riding. If I don't have the motivation to do that anymore, I will also put my helmet because otherwise, you know, I live through this incredible life of racing, you know, almost, what is it, 44 years of being on, this, on, on a motocross bike and can be proud to say that I don't have like any big injuries. I had some knee injuries and of course, uh, but got through life um, without having too many uh, problems, you know. So I will hate myself if I go out and I injured myself because I was not ready because of my instinct and my professionalism to the sport and respect most of all. And that's something yeah. I will... I can say to the people, you know, find, for God's sake, find the motivation. If you want to be someone, you know, in the British Championship, in the World Championship, whatever you want to be, if you want to be close to the best in whatever Calgary you're putting up, be fit. Because when you are fit or fitter, you know, you just have multiple times more chances of not making mistakes. Because if you're not fit and you're tired and, you know, after three laps, but you know you're going to do eight laps, it it's where we start taking stupid chances, you know, and I had the privilege of in my career being behind the gate, looking to my left, you know, there's the nine times world champion on the right is two times world champion Pichon and knowing I'm going to fucking kick your ass today. You know, I am here to do business because I fucking put as much hard work down or even more than you guys did. And I'm ready to go, you know, and that, it's such a great, that's that's how you build confidence. You know, that's such a great feeling. But to get there, you need to, you know, stop bullshitting you yourself. To do the work. To be honest with yourself. No, I was going to say it's a, yeah. it's a good mindset to have. Yes. Yeah. And and like I said, you know, but be honest with yourself. Look yourself in the mirror and and back up what you're going to say. You know, even on Instagram or Facebook or, or even to yourself. Always that if you can say to yourself, "This is what I'm going to do." fucking go out and do it because it it really brings you know some truth to your life and to yourself and then it's a lot easier to sit behind the gate thinking i'm gonna fucking do this i know i'm gonna get to that first corner first because if i don't believe that because of the drills that i didn't do of course it's never gonna happen you know <laughs> so it it's all about i i visualize everything in my life i visualize when i go out to a training school but also and i learned that from racing visualizing you know doing things before i'm actually doing it you know that gives me a uh, uh, advance uh how can you say a uh, advance um confidence that i'm i know exactly what i'm doing and you see that mainly with the tp riders they are uh, you know for february was on i think it was some on instagram where he was sitting there he was visualizing the track and uh, that I use that for a lot of things, not only in motocross, but I visualize and manifest the things that I want in life, in my personal life as well. I think about the things that I want to achieve before, let's say, 24 seven. and I will make a board. I actually have it here in front of me uh, on my office that I look at that board every day and then I try to think, you know, I want to achieve this. I want to do this. I want to have this. And then I already start playing it in my mind and playing it over and over again. And funny enough, all the the things that I put down on my list, you know, 
yeah, pretty much the chieftain. I was, you know, back in in three years from from now when I had to do divorce and share all money. You know, I was I was in a bad place, but uh, I came back again and uh, and you know, visualizing my own success. And you know, I'm great that I'm <laughs> happy that I'm. I'm having some great partners and people believe in, in the things that I can, can help guys with. And, uh, and I think that comes from hopefully being humble and being honest, you know, with people and, and try to give them great advice. For, um, for any writers that are kind of listening to this podcast, um, whether they're young or old, what's the best ways of contacting you, Brian, for coaching or some mentorship? What's the best way of, of contacting Brian Jorgensen? Well, it's yeah, mail, of course. Just don't don't contact me on Instagram, <clears throat> Facebook, because uh, I. <laughs> That, that there's too many to 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 take care of, and I I try always to be polite to people and come back, but I I I don't I don't remember. You know, I I look at two things. It's my even my website that's called uh, mx8.dk, or it's um, it's my email, which mx8redsandgmail.com, um, and I try to be coming back with, uh, with reasons of amount of time <laughs> because uh, uh, <laughs> I have a lovely girlfriend that that helps me a lot with the administration of uh, of dealing with all that side because I basically, I don't have what it takes, you know, and, and that's obviously one of the, the mindset. I always said you can do whatever you want in life, but there's a few things I realized that I'm not very good at. And that's... Uh, dealing with emails and sitting down on my ass it's just i have too much energy and that's i'm lucky that i have a, a great girlfriend that that actually are very good at those things and answer back people you know as soon as possible and and actually almost instantly when they come in when i'm like oh, i'm just going out cycling I, I can wait with that and it's not because i'm not interested of i just i, I can't do it i need to train first you know and and, and I need to do my drills first. No, that's good. So at least people know that when they get in contact with you, they're going to get a reply, which is uh, which is really good. Um, I Definitely. can't thank you enough for your time um, on this podcast. I, I knew this was going to be the case where, uh, you know, I think we're well over two hours and uh, – I th- I can mm. see Ed because I did I did uh, we did say at the start of this we need to do a separate uh, podcast for your career because there's so much to talk about and I think it will be. Uh, a really good one so we need to get that lined up um when you got some time so we can sit down and uh, me and ed need to sit down and do some some solid research and speak to a few people Mm. who you against and uh get some juicy stories we can ask some questions so um i you know i think anybody who's been listening to this podcast ed they're going to get so much insight from brian aren't they Oh, it's incredible, mate. There's so much more we could obviously pick your brain on. And we will, you know, I'm sure we've got plenty of stuff lined in the works, a really cool series of podcasts even. But yeah, there's so much out there. We didn't even really touch on nutrition and just how important having that multifaceted approach. You know, so many things have mm. to be in order to make an athlete and to make that machine, like you were saying, mate, on top of all the stuff, like the mindset that comes from within. So it's super cool, mate. It's really impressive what you're doing. And we just want to hear more about your career and, and that in the future. And yeah, I had a huge stack of questions here and there's probably just only a few of them that have really we've covered. So I've definitely got more to say and would 
definitely be keen to get you back on when you're free, mate. Yeah, thanks a lot for that. And, and, and like I said, you know, life is all about routines. It's, you know, if, if we had not even touched the nutrition yet, we have not even touched about, you know, going to sleep. Uh, what does that mean for your body? What does it mean for the mindset? I definitely know what it means to me now. Uh, if I don't get my sleep and then do, you know, my routines of always getting to, you know, many times I'm in bed by 9.30, so it's well over my my bedtime. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> then, you know, I will recently, I will try to see if I can get a little bit of reading down before sleeping. You know, they, there's, they, there's, a whole, there's a whole new series, Edwards and James, of mobile phones that we have not even touched that you know, receive yet of how important it is to put your mobile phone at the side before, you know, let's say half an hour, one hour before you go to sleep because your mind keep, and that's what I'm worried about, you know, also with young kids today, with, with all those fast things with a swipe, you know, your mind constantly just works in new images, new pictures. And that means that it's so difficult for people to focus today in school more across or whatever they're doing because they're used to new pictures new stories new you know everything you when you post something today you want to make it as short as possible because otherwise you know that people are not going to read it because they fucking just flick on to the next thing you know in 20 years ago we were reading and we we're like yeah okay next page okay yeah okay because we had nothing else to do you know there was only that yeah. paper that letter that we received to to read that day you know and yeah. and and life is going way too fast now, and uh, I think that's that's a different thing that I also work a lot on, even if it can be difficult because you know with you know with Bobby and you know many other good writers I'm working with, you know mobile phones do not exist at training day or race day. You can post when you're finished. That's okay. You can if you have time and you can post before whatever you want to do. But when we are doing the drills, when we are practicing is no mobile phone zone because i want you to think about what you have just been out and doing you know you've been racing for 40 minutes 30 minutes whatever the drills that we have been doing but if the first thing that you do is just take up your phone and then thinking what's happening on instagram you know you don't even think about what you have just been doing and that was a different james in our day you know we had that no escape we need to sit down we could sit down for hours thinking about the race, my whole race will be when I go to sleep after time practice in the evening, when I go to, you know, after the racing and go to sleep, I'll be spending one hour, you know, lying and look, looking myself riding. And I used to, you know, be smiling and, and fuck yeah, that was good. And that was good. Oh, that was not so good. But, you know, I love to see myself riding. And I guess you've got to love yourself before you can love anyone else. That's the same, what I'm saying. But I think also if you don't love yourself and looking to yourself, being happy with the style that you want to look yourself at, you need to work on your technique, you know? So yeah. going to sleep all, you know, it's, it's a lot of things. Routines is just, you know, like in, in, in my own house, I'm, I'm becoming a little bit like a, you know, my girlfriend said, go out of that training. You know, you're not training other people. Now you are just an, a normal person. I'm like, yeah, sorry. You know, but <laughs> it's but because my, my, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my life is uh, it's it's a routine in in so many ways you know it, and it's what is important for me and i think that keeps me you know uh, the most time on the right track yeah i think everybody has to find their equilibrium and you've kind of learned a lot about yourself brian to to figure out that 
the important things which make Brian Jorgensen work, but also you've got the ingredients of what can make um, a, motocross, a motocross rider work at a, at a high level. So I think that's mm. the the key things what you've discovered over you know the forty four years that you've been in and around motorcycles. Yeah, and you know, like I said, also nutrition is also important. We we know from people that, and that's why it have a it it have a brand new touch on that thing because I think a lot of injuries also come from people that have a normal work or stressful work and then they want to go out and ride motocross but they didn't have anything to eat or they maybe didn't have anything to drink then we just take a red bull or monster because we see now pepper is having that monster and that's what he's drinking but everyone knows that it's different but you know it, it it's just hold that image you know if ken roxon was drinking red bull we also need a red bull because then we become ken roxon no that's not how it works you know no he, you know at least two one of the, the thing <laughs> yeah you know you know working with Elton baker you know Ken Roxon working out of Baker, I think one of the things that Elton said, you know, you don't drink Red Bull, you know, like five a day or something like that. You don't become, you know, but it, it's a nice drink and people can 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 use it as they want, of course. But uh, they, there's, there's certain things that you should not drink before and you should not do before and after. And, you know, and it's about for me setting all those routines in, you know, coming to a race day, what to do, what to eat. I had a list in my camera and I show people this, this is the this is my driving plan. Friday, I'll be packing up there, and I will pack. I will pack the what do you say? Park the camper. I will yep. get my bicycle out. I will not speak with anyone. I will do my cycle for forty minutes. I will do my stretching, and then I will start organizing my gear, my helmet, my boots, everything for the whole weekend. I know exactly. I have five set of roll off with dark lenses, five set of roll off with clear, five set of lenses. You know, with tear offs, dark and clear. Everything was organized. So when I went to bed on Friday, the only thing I had to think about, it was just to get up, do my breakfast, do my cycling, do my stretching, take my gloves, take my, you know, everything was organized. So yep. in that way, there was, there was nothing that I could evaluate after that weekend because I drink and eat and do the same thing every weekend. And why I did that was because I don't want a hundred questions marks of why I was not successful today. No excuses. You know, I put, you know, I put everything in system. So when I fucking won last weekend in Tyson Town and I went one, one with that same meal preparation, same sleep, everything, what I did, I can win today. And I don't have to go around in the circle thinking, ah, oh, was it because I had that Gatorade or was it because I had two more fruits than what, I, you know, it's all bullshit. Just come down to fucking do your routines, cut the bullshit out and do your work and get your head down and work on your mindset. That was the last one. I, like <laughs> I, I think what I could do with is, is Brian Jorgensen just being with me MX Vice right now, just over my shoulder, just saying routines. <laughs> fucking, I've told you once, I've told you twice. Get out of bed, <laughs> bitch, at six o'clock in the morning. This is what I need, but I need more Brian Jorgensen in my life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, like no, it, it, it all it all sounds easy and you know it, it's it's not always that I'm perfect as well, but I try to keep my normality of life to let's say like ninety percent. You know, this night I slept to eight o'clock because I picked up my kids for my holiday here and uh, I picked them up at the airport in Alicante at one thirty. So of course I was really tired and I do need my sleep, but I feel bad when I get up a little bit late because then I feel like, 
you know, I'm I'm running behind in, in everything because of my schedule, you know. So uh, it, I know that everything cannot be perfect, but if if you can just think about it and you can be a little bit better, you know, that that's basically what I try in life. You know, I'm I'm far from perfect and I'm far for anything, but I always try to work to be a little bit better every day, and I think that gives me. Uh, desire to be you know a better person every day and that keeps me focused no i like it i like the mindset i'm a big believer in mindsets routines and habits as well so um but you know i can't thank you for enough for uh coming on to the show spending some time in in you know we need to get you back on we need to talk to you talk about more there's there's you know hours and hours which i can think of which uh we've not even covered um yeah. Big thanks to Parts York Distribution, uh, who distribute spare parts, accessories, and rider equipment for all motorbike segments in Europe. We support the sport is fortified through the Four and Moose House brands and their support of world elite MX riders like Karen Vlanderen, Jorge Prado, Lagenfelder, Guadagini, Jonas Bogers, and nine times world champion and Thor ambassador Tony Caroli. Uh, not just Thor and Moose, they produce Necken. Pro Circuit, FMF, ODI, Cycro, Renful, Recluse brands to many dealers throughout Europe. So uh, if you want to get, if you're a dealer and you want to get your hands on any of those products, then you need to seek out Parts Europe. Uh, they are the guys that support the sport. I think you would have seen them across the nations. They had the uh, the parts uh, literally on the hill. It was fantastic. Thank you very much to those guys for my hospitality for the weekend. It was very healthy food, Brian. I had salmon and some lovely stuff. I stayed away from from the desserts. Uh, Huge thank you to AS3. Um, Those guys have been super, super supportive this year to uh, MX Vice. Uh, Huge thanks to Ben and Nick, uh, who have just been, uh, you know, completely on it this year with us. Uh, they are the home of aftermarket motocross and enjoy parts from hardware and protection parts, including skid plates and radiator braces to performance coding parts, including silicon radiator hoses and oversized impedicates. Check out as3performance.co.uk. And I'm going to say this and Ben's going to get wound up, but they do the best bling bits for your bike. So if you want all those shiny bits, Brian Jorgensen will tell you it'll make you go faster at least two seconds a lap if you go and get some AS3 parts to make that bike look good. Um Huge thank you to those guys in Even Strokes. If you're looking for parts and gear, head over to evenstrokes.com. Basically, the prop profits from there go into running MX Vice. So that helps pay for things like uh web hosting, which is getting so expensive because more people keep visiting the website. So uh it's a it's a curse at the moment. So um one of those things. But Ed, um fantastic great work this week on on uh, mx vice fantastic to have you on you're an absolute legend um brian it's been an uh, absolute pleasure talking to you as always and um i'm hoping that we bump into each other quite a lot uh, next year at gps and um we definitely. definitely want to get back on to um some more podcasts so thank you again for your time and uh good luck if, if you're out there you're looking for coaching advice um then hit brian up on email brian what was the email again it's mx8redsandgmail.com. And uh, Brian uh, or his partner will get back to you as soon as possible. And um, honestly, if you're looking for, for coaching in the winter period, Spain's a fantastic place to ride. So many tracks, so many facilities available. Um, I'm sure Brian's available for any advice and bits and pieces about where to go, but definitely hit him up for his uh, for, for the coaching courses that he's got available. Uh, Ed, have you got anything to say before we go? 
No, just thanks, lads, and thanks, Brian, for taking the time, mate. It's been a brilliant chat and definitely look forward to the next one. Yeah, me too. Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate yeah, that's it. it. That's uh, 147 uh, out. So we'll be back next week with uh, episode 148. Thanks, everybody.